Be on the dugout, lay some up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Pitch you on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Do it for your teammates, do it for the fan Do it for your city, true ballers understand You gotta work together, you gotta find a way Put your body on the line and make that play Be on the dugout, lay some up and we run out Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out Pitch you on the mound like you don't wanna face this Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases Be on the dugout be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Well, a very pleasant good evening to you all out there. Thank you for joining the podcast here at Beyond the Dugout, 14th of May. It is episode five. Great to have you along with it. Boy, oh boy, it's been our pleasure to bring it to you. I'm Jason Gubis, aka Chop, and of course, my co-host in this one, Damien Collins. G'day Chopper, g'day guys, uh, welcome back to the 04 mate, I uh, love, uh, love this going up and down the country to just talk ball, it's awesome. It is, it is indeed, I know a few people gave me stick about saying it was cold here the other week, well boy I think it's gone to a new level this week, it is so icy cold today, but it's great to be back in Wellington and of course uh, we've got a lot of great softball legends and we've got a great one coming up uh, in this podcast today, but before we get to that, Patrick Shannon Last week, man, what a legend himself. Yeah, good good fun, old Paddy. And um, we were all, everyone was uh, giving us the nod, you know, keep it down to a minimum. But, you know, first one I got to record on um, edit under two hours. So that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, the content that, uh, that Paddy talks about, the stories, right. the stance, you know, it's all good stuff. And the way he tells it, though, makes it so much more interesting. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know we, we dived big into his overseas career so we could even get him back to talk about his New Zealand career or his international career but we too we had a, had a big talk about the ISCs uh, the family and and of course that stance as well we got good feedback from overseas especially in North America where he's uh, loved over there Patrick Shun so um, thank you for all for tuning in uh, for that one last week it was great local roundup with sport will just blanch over some of the sports how about will you talk about the Wellington Saints and the basketball, how they go? But My basketball, there's uh, top of the table uh, still. There's uh, the us and the Huskies from Auckland. Undefeated. Undefeated. Oh, I'm looking forward to chucking that when I introduce them to the court. Uh, we'll wait a couple games before I throw out undefeated. Three right. games, you know. But uh, no, top of the table and another big week against the Nelson Giants at home. But across the board, there's some great basketball being played across the country. Tell you what, talking about, it's a softball podcast, right? Of course. Well, the Huskies have got a 16-year-old just can't remember his last name, but Dante's his first name, softballer. Right. Hasn't played softball the last year to concentrate on his basketball. This kid is going to be the real deal. 16 years old, apparently he's playing outstanding for the Huskies. How tall is he? No, not that tall yet. No? No, no, but he is sprouting. His dad is super got the, tall. Got a, got a lunge on him, does he? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to give you his secrets, man, because, okay. yeah, he's the secret weapon. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I'll let the boys know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week, man, we got the bosses in the house. Oh. You know what? Yeah, we, uh, we've we had some legends uh, on the couch here at uh, Beyond the Dugout, but boy, oh boy, when you when you talk about Mark Sorensen, you know, uh, member of the New Zealand Order of Merit, he's in every Hall of Fame imaginable. Well, almost. Uh, uh, domestically, uh, internationally, uh, recognised at the Halberg Awards, you, you name it. He's done it, and uh, and I'm going to ask him a little bit later, man, because he had the title for such a long period of time as Mr. Softball. Mm. You know, did he like that title? How did that feel? It'd be interesting to find and get Mark's uh, take on that. But boy, oh boy, what a legend, and what a local legend. 
Oh, mate, I moved here when I was 10 years old and um, played softball since I was five. You know, I, I when we moved here and you knew who Mark Sorensen was, the the Oakleys, the Mizunos, the, all the kit, and, oh, mate, he's just uh, the GOAT. And I, I say that I say that out loud, and I, a lot of people do. So, yeah, no, it's um, interviewed him a couple of times now. He gave me uh, forty minutes last year, so um, That's right. no, it's, it's going to be awesome to um, to have another round with him. I think there's going to be a great audience uh, for this one, Damon. Not just here domestically, but obviously internationally. A big career with the ICs and a big career internationally for the uh, Golden Homes Black Sox. Yeah, just speaking on international, like what you, you mentioned, um, all all the other uh, associations across the world. Um, it's just a shout out to everybody around the world that has been sharing the content um, been liking commenting um, and when you go through the stats and you see literally everyone around the world is, is uh, these parts of, of, of everywhere listening is pretty cool to see and we've got over 1500 followers now we've got a few top fans even so you know it's pretty cool it is indeed and, and I guess just on that Damien for all those international listeners, you know, we're right there. We're right in your corner. We're right in your team with this uh, pandemic, you know, and hopefully uh, beyond the day, it could be just a little bit of a reprieve from the pressures of that around the world and just to sit back and enjoy some of the stories of our great game of softball at this time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's sport, isn't it? It's that it's that way out. It's that it's that way to zone out and well, whether you're playing it or watching it, you for those X amount of minutes, you just kind of forget about everything else. Damien, I can't wait. Let's get to it, mate. Okay, let's get this cheesy music. All right. Let's let's go. Mark James Sorensen, member of the New Zealand Order of Merit and the New Zealand Hall of Fame, Helberg Awards, ISF Hall of Fame, you name it, he's done it, won it all. Proud a member of one club. That's the big stat that sticks out for me. Hutt Valley Cardinals, his whole career is Mark Sonson. That joins us here on the couch at Beyond the Dugout. Mark, welcome. Thanks for having me, man. It's great to be here. Thank you for being here. He's in my house. <laughs> Mark Sorensen's in my house. I know your wife. I mean, your partner was just like that as well. Yeah. Is it Mark Sorensen going? Is it? Is that? Is that really Mark Sorensen? Yeah, we were trying to get the main bathroom done before we got here, but no, you have to walk through our bedroom to get to the ensuite. That's okay. He walking. He walked in with a Superman logo on his t-shirt. Glided. How in. fitting. Glided. Oh, glided in. Right. Oh, Mark, it's it's great to have you along, man. Storied career of softball. We're going to get to a lot of those achievements. Uh, As I mentioned, you know, you played uh, 20 years for the Golden Home Black Sox, around about 20 years at IC level. You won numerous titles, both at IC level and at international level, and now you're coaching. You've won a world title with that. Boy, boy, what a ride. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's at stages like now where you sit back and and reflect a little bit and and look back. Uh, the journey's not over just yet, but you know you can certainly look back. I can look back from a playing perspective and and feel pretty satisfied, pretty proud of some of the achievements. And you know, just look back at the memories. And I think that's the greatest thing about our sport is that you know we are a, a really blue collar sport. You know, we're grassroots, and you know the friendships that you've you've made and built and relationships from over the years, and and not just locally. Or domestically, you know, internationally, there's, you know, I got a text from a guy in the in the states yesterday, a guy Rick Rader, and and that I played with in Madison, <laughs> uh, wanting to know about the the World Cup, you know, yeah. and when's the best time, and where's to tour, you know, and, and we played together in '86, wow. you know, so those friendships that 
you may not speak to someone every day, but you know you've got a mate anywhere around the world that you've played with. So it's pretty cool um, when you look back and reflect on those type of things. Talk to Damien before we go too far, but I have to get it. It's on the top of my head. I can't get off it. Uh, I talked to Damien in, in the intro to this episode. You were classified as Mr. Softball New Zealand uh, for a long time. You were the face of softball in New Zealand for the long time, mate. How did that cap fit? And how did you feel about it? Well, yeah, it was tough. Uh, it was really tough, in fact, you know, the expectation. And it's kind of why I've worn this T-shirt tonight, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, is that <laughs> That's who you're expected to be, um, and carrying the name on the back of my shirt that I had to, um, you know, came with extra pressure, and it still does, mm. you know. So whether I'm playing or coaching, it's the same thing. You, you, you're expected to be Superman, um, but you know, it is what it is. We <laughs> we can't change that, and you, you you got used to it. And in the early days, um, I really struggled, you know, because any time uh, anything happened with softball, and the, you know, whether it be radio or you know, newspaper or TV, it was always me, you know, and and it was to the detriment of some of my teammates, which was really hard at the time also, you know, and it, it, it's something that I'm really mindful now of in, in my mm. coaching role is, you know, and we have been over the last few years is, is, you know, developing other identities so that, you know, we've got people that can front the game. Um but you know there was there were some fun times. Yep. Uh, there were yep. some challenging times. You know, you, when you're carrying the weight, or feel like you're carrying the weight of the mm. world on your shoulders yeah, a little yeah. bit. Uh, you know, but you, as I said, it, it is what it is, and you just roll with it. And and I don't know how, when exactly it was, but you know, you get comfortable um, with it and with the expectation, and you can then focus on, you know, what it is you do and what it is you do best. Well, you've got the smile to match, so you were a good pick for it, man. And of course, an amazing. Career to go. Let's go back to the beginning, uh, my friend. Nor here, queer. Where are you from, and, and what's your heritage? Well, I'm uh, I'm a nine eye boy, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm nine eye proud. In the nice. Um, I uh, funny story, actually. I um, you know played a lot of as you mentioned, played a lot of time in the states, and there was one time we were uh, I think we were in um, Green Bay, and we had a, we had a great team in Sioux City. Uh, won a lot of titles and but went on to Green Bay and it was probably one of one of the times where I had the most fun was because the guys were of a similar age. Uh, we're in Sioux City. I was still quite young, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, the Green Bay guys were were kind of growing up together and sitting around having a drink one night and guys are talking about you know where they went to school and what they majored in and you know the, the American guys are all about going to college and you know what's their degree and sort of going around the table and I'm sort of getting a little bit uncomfortable you know thinking oh geez when it comes around to me what am I going to say <laughs> and you know when I say yeah, I went to Iowa State and I majored in this and I went to Wisconsin and I majored in that and came around to me and I went uh, I went to Nanai University and I, I majored <laughs> in batting third and, and catching you know <laughs> it was like how am I going to get out of this so it's a hell of a degree to have from Nino yeah, University. It is though. indeed, mate. It is indeed. And I've got my Nino University T-shirt, <laughs> School of Hard Knocks. If they had Google back in those days, they would have all Googled oh, Nino University. Yeah, right? they would have, yeah. uh, and they wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Uh, fantastic. So, no, I, I grew up in, in the hut, yep. um, hut boy through and through, and uh, Nino Primary, Intermediate, and College, and, you know, it's uh, it's certainly a changed area now, but um, you know, I got some really fond memories of my time, you know, as a, as a as a young child growing up through those through those years and school years, and you know, I, I guess learning 
about softball and playing and, and playing it for the, you know, all the right reasons. You're just playing with your mates to have fun and, you know, and then all of a sudden you, you start keeping the score and you want to win and then you want to get better and you go on from there. Talking about sports, what other sports were you involved with? Like in around the beginning of softball or before? Um, I pretty much played every sport at school. Yeah. Yeah, played um, played soccer, played rugby. In fact, I made a New Zealand under-16 soccer team. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, started uh, national. What do me? Position? Well, I started the tournament as a fullback. Yeah. Uh, and then, because I, I grew, I was quite quite big, young. Um, uh, so I sent a defender, you know, and then our, uh, our centre forward got injured in the first game and coach said, do you want to have a go? And so I went, yeah. And I ended up scoring about eight or nine goals. <laughs> You're not going to the back again. Yeah, yeah. It was like, wow. It was one of those tournaments, you know, where everything went in the net. Um, so, no, I, I enjoyed my football. Um, I played that first, I suppose, as a winter sport. Then the year after I made that New Zealand team, I, I went to rugby at school um, because it, it it fit my uh, physical stature <laughs> probably a little bit better. I <laughs> uh, played basketball. Yeah. Yeah, loved basketball. Played water polo because uh, I've always enjoyed swimming. Um, so yeah, played uh, played played a lot of sport, um, you know, through through the school years. But uh, as you sort of go and progress, I suppose through college, um, it was really uh, rugby. You know, you played first fifteen and played basketball, and then um, I had an opportunity in the year uh, the year after I left school to to go to the states, and that was my first year in '86 with um, with the Farm Tavern. So yeah, I went over there as an eighteen year old um, <laughs> and played. So first time away from home, went to Wisconsin for six months. Where, nice, where they drink Monday to Friday. Yeah, how's the how's and then your Saturday and Sunday they 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 have two hands full. <laughs> eighteen year old would have loved it. Yeah. yeah, your bragging rights at school must be pretty good. I'm oh. just off to the states for the winter. Yeah. Yeah, uh, those those were the days. Certainly, <laughs> no, I'd finished school, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. You know, I, I some of the the uh, I look back, some of the you know greatest memories I've got in terms of life and growing up are the, those college years. You know, and, and two of my very best mates, uh, uh, guys that um, we actually met at intermediate, um, and they've been um, they've been in my wedding party. Um, for both my weddings, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they've been yeah. there forever. Yeah, and they're, they're you know they're, they're your mates that you've uh, you've been to battle with, yeah. um, been through a lot with, and and they're they're there uh, whenever I need them, and and you know like like good mates are, you know you you have a very small you know most people only have a very small circle of um, really close friends, um, you know, and these two, Tamar and Glenn, are uh, two of my great mates. Excellent. Mate, we know, uh, obviously, and the, the big thing, and I had to put that in your intro, that you've played for one club your whole career, the Hutton Valley Cardinals, so we, we know it started there. But before I get to that, man, firstly, i just got to take my cap off because any player I hear that is a, a one-club man, uh, you know, it's just, it's not seen as much these days. It still is, but not as much. But every time I meet them, man, they, they get their kudos for sure, so that's a cool thing. Yeah, I mean, pretty proud of, you know, Dad obviously played for Cardinals from mm-hmm. right from the early stages and... Um, it probably only it was only natural that that I would carry on and play, and you know I think I played my first game at at five, um, but yeah, I was uh, was that hitting clean up in the senior team? Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I remember, um, I still remember my very first at bat, Johnny mm-hmm. Nightingale pitching for Hutt City United, struck me out. Um, is this senior team you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, no, oh, yeah. this is <laughs> under 10s, I think. Um, <laughs> walked back crying, yeah. you know, and, and Dad was there and he's like, okay, so what are you going to do next time? Um, you know, so straight away it was like, all right, don't suck it up, um, move on, that's just the way the game is. Uh, but, yeah, I remember at Nine Park, um, you know, a great sort of traditional starter, a, a hotbed of softball was back then in the sort of 70s, 80s. Can we just talk about your parents for a second? Because they're amazing. Um, and your mum's still out there and helping out and everything. So, I mean, what kind of influence were those two on, on you growing up? Um, yeah, quite large. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, you, your parents are, you know, they provide a lot of direction and, um, obviously a lot of support, both, you know, uh, uh, emotionally, financially, you know, to get you to, to different events. Um, you know, we, we talked softball a lot, obviously, at home. Uh, but as you, you know, that you get to that, I, I, I suppose it was easier before I got to senior, you know, because you were always looking for, you, you're kind of like a sponge, you know, you're taking everything in, you're asking questions, I'd always go to his trainings, you know, I'd always be out shagging fly balls if if the cat, if the pitcher needed someone to throw to on the sideline. I'd always put my hand up, and mm. um, it, it, in the early stages, um, my hand hurt quite a bit because you you didn't know how to catch the ball mm-hmm. uh, properly. You're just trying to stop it. Um, and you know, there's some big names. You know, the the, the John Dawsons and mm. you know Paul McGann's before I ended up catching Paul full time there. You know, the Alan Wishart's. Uh, Owen Walford, you know, came through Cardinals and, and I'd always be at training, uh, going along with Dad and, you know, and he'd want to go home, they'd finish training, but I'd want to stay, you know. No, no, a couple more, a couple more. Yeah. So being a part of, um, I guess, the club from such a young age, you you know, you then take on the responsibility of uh, carrying that, that torch. So, uh, but, but Mum and Dad uh, were obviously a massive part of the club and, and of Hutt Valley and... Uh, you know they they were always there and and supportive, uh, but you got to that age and I don't know it might have been sort of fifteen sixteen where you know everything, so you don't you don't listen to your as much your no. father yeah that much, <laughs> so yeah it was at that stage I think that uh, Lester Baldwin took over at coaching at well he he was the coach at Cardinals and and it was probably better that Dad didn't take over for a few years to you know allow him time away from playing but also allow me time to develop and establish myself so you know you, you yeah that father-son relationship is you know there's always a strong bond but in a coach uh athlete uh scenario it, it doesn't always go that well that no, <laughs> says hi by the way yeah. <laughs> when you talk about advice uh and uh, and thinking about your dad what's one bit of advice that sticks in your mind that he gave you whether it was at during a game after a game or at the dinner table um it was it was more about you know trusting yourself and believing in yourself um you know and and it was a simple thing that don't let what um you know don't let your mind hold you back you know don't you know don't worry about how old you are if you're good enough you'll make it to whatever team you want to get to so you know basically saying it's not what you are that holds you back it's what you think you're not so you know and and that you know, we played together. I think uh, uh, nineteen eighty two. I think it was in the in mm-hmm. the 
club nationals. Um, I, I was brought up from the reserve grade to play in it, but it was it was dad's last year, so playing together it was quite cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so being and I think I was fourteen, maybe. So being quite young, you know, you, you're obviously apprehensive and you're a little bit scared. Um, and and he was certainly a big believer that um, you know talent should surpass age, regardless. So you know, just get out there and perform. Don't worry about how old or young you are. Um, you know, you've got the ability. You've just got to believe in yourself. So it sort of went from there and and took off pretty quickly after that. Talking about that because we're going to get to your know, your Black Sox debut. We all know uh, you were the right young age of sixteen for that. But um, if you look at your your club career, whether it be the juniors coming through, what were some of the highlights for you at Hutton Valley Cardinals from the whole spectrum from juniors right through the senior side? Um, oh, oh, look, we've you know I've got some some really great mates um, within the the group. You know, Scoob is mm. is yeah. my assistant now. You know, yeah. Jim Wano he played for us for for a bit, and um, you know the the Craig Simons and Dave Workmans and. You know, Dominic Richards and, you know, Dom liked it so much he married my sister. Um, <laughs> I love that, Mark. I don't know if he felt Has the he pressure, got pressure or not, but, <laughs> you know, you think back over the years and, and you know, we uh, there's a group of us that still catch up a um, couple times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we normally have lunch or get together for a drink and, you know, just kind of um, – Relive the memories, which is great. You know, I I got great memories of a team that we we had in the reserve grade. Actually, um, I can't remember what year it was, but maybe eighty one or eighty two or something. And Paul Elgar was pitching for mm-hmm. us, yeah, because uh, I think Lauren was with the senior team right. and and Elfie was pitching for us, and and we had a good group of young guys that had come up from under seventeen. They had a, a, a P two team that wasn't doing so well, and and they decided to push the under-16 team up, so a group of young guys, and, and Alfie came in and pitched, and we went right the way through and came close to winning it in wow. the end. Um, and it was a really great ride, uh, you know, and and really enjoyed, uh, you know, playing with your mates. And, and when, you know, you, I'm very fortunate in, you know, in my role to be able to, you know, you go to World Cups and you go to ISCs and you go to ASA Nationals in the States and, you know, then fortunate last year to go to the, you know the Padre Spring Training, but at those, it's those um, grassroots home base stories from back in the day that mm. you know that you look back on and reflect and and remember that that's why you played the game in the beginning. You know, rather than everything that's sort of at the level that it's at now, it's it's just that that grassroots stuff that um, has always been important to me. Talk about the senior side at um, at Cardinals now. Um, outside of your dad, of course, I mean, you always are having a legend like that, Hall of Famer himself, Dave. Um, who was who was your go to that you could lean on for advice uh, in that in that top side? Whether it was a coach or a fellow player. Well, I was re- I was really fortunate in that because of who Dad was, I I pretty much had access to anyone. Um, a lot of softball uncles, eh? Yeah. Well. <laughs> You know, we go away on a Christmas holiday and I'm catching to Kevin Hulahi, Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a 10-year-old at, yeah. at a motor camp in the Wairarapa or something. You know, you, 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 you know, you see, and you go back and, you know, you think, again, how privileged you are. But, um, you know, I had um, I had Jimmy Cotter, you know, at the time, you know, one of the greatest players that, that we'd ever seen. 
um, you know, and, and and Ian Stringer had came down to Hutt Valley um, about the time when I was breaking in as a catcher. So, you know, Dad arranged for me to have time with String, you know, about catching. And, and there was an American guy, Marty Rubinoff, who came out and played a couple of years for Hutt City. Mm-hmm. And he was he was the first guy that uh, that I really encountered that looked at hitting as an art form, you know, that really looked at the technical side of it and stuff. And and he was f- with Hutt City, yet um, a couple times a week he would have me down at Nonai Park doing batting training, you know, and he was coaching me. Um, so I learned a lot about hitting from him. Uh, and, you know, he was involved in, in uh, college softball in, in the States, based in Southern California, uh, played for the Camarillo Kings with Jimmy Cotter, uh, they won a couple of ICs, I think, in 81, 82, kind of around there. But um, really great guy, you know. So uh, for me, I, I probably didn't have just one guy that I went to, but I tried to mould my game on a number of different guys, uh, you know, and, and String was really the first power hitter that we had, you know, that, that hit home runs regularly. You know, we had these fences, Um but no one hit them over the fence, mm-hmm. you know. Then no one hit home runs, and then yeah. all of a sudden he came down and showed, you know, bang, guys are hitting home runs, and all of a sudden it just changed that dynamic. Uh, but you know, like any any great team, and you know, it's it's you're only um, you're only one member, you know, and a, and a nine guys in the lineup, uh, and at the time pitchers were hitting, so you know you had your nine that were out there. So you know you you you've got to rely on a lot of guys, and you play a number of games during the season. Um, so for me, it wasn't just uh, one person. Um, I, I'd probably go to a number of them, but quite often it would, would you know, uh, all roads would, would kind of lead back to, to the old man. You know, and I remember um, uh, playing in the uh, my first interprovincial tournament in 1983, and it was in Hawke's Bay, and we were playing Auckland in the final and, you know, I was 16, um, catching McGann and, and uh, Lauren Elgar and, and we were in the final there. And Bud Baldwin was coaching. And uh, Dad just kind of had a whistle. Um, and he'd give me a whistle, you know, during in a tough situation. Mm-hmm. Could, he could see that, because you know, I was calling the game myself, you know, yep. as a 16-year-old. He could see that I, I was struggling a bit. And he'd give me a little bit of a whistle. And I looked over and he just... You know, give me the twinkle of the fingers mm. as if to say, throw a change up. Yeah. Right. Throw a change up, got out of the inning and run back, you know, and you're sort of pretty satisfied with it and looked at him and he just gives you the old nod, you know. <laughs> yeah, well done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a little bit of a whistle, a little bit of a mm-hmm. change up. Um, and then later we talked about why, you know. and, and That's going to be the big learning right there. Yeah, right? for me it was always about the why. And, and okay, so what was, what was the reason behind that? You know, what was the situation? So it was more... You know, don't get into a routine of throwing the hard stuff because it's easy to catch. You know, and changing speed, changing pace, both sides of the plate. Yeah. Um, but the timing was right, and I can't even remember who the hitter was. Uh, but it was just, it was just right. So yeah, there was that happened um, a few times, and other times he would whistle and I wouldn't look, <laughs> <laughs> and then he'd whistle again, <laughs> and I wouldn't look. <laughs> I got this one, Dan. I got yeah, it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Stop it! I know. I know. <laughs> Were you always going to be a catcher, Mark? How did that, how did that start? Um, 
Well, I was a pitcher uh, in the early stages. No. Yeah, yeah. Is that high? Well, everybody wanted to pitch, mate. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I had these this beautiful pair of Brooks cleats that mum bought for me. From uh, You've always had the gears. Well, you've always been a little bit brain conscious, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I've got an 11-year-old daughter that's like that now, too. <laughs> That'll teach you. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, I wonder where she got that from. Um, so started on the hill? What yeah. the heck? Yeah, and I ruined these Brooks cleats about the first time I wore them. Oh. Um, but no, I, I think in um, Lester was coaching, so uh, Lester's son Matthew and I were uh, two weeks apart in age, and, and we played all the way through age groups together, and so Lester coached our junior teams. And I don't know, it was maybe under 11 or under 12 or something, and there were two pitches. And Lester said, well, why don't you catch Mark and let Cameron pitch? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I caught, and then you kind of caught and then pitched and then caught and didn't pitch and then just caught. Um, and, yeah, I got to like it. <laughs> Thank God he got to like it. <laughs> Thank God. Jeez. Um, but I want to get to the uh, to the Black Sox because uh, um, I mean, there's so much we're going to talk about today. We're not, I mean, the coach you're going to get to later, but uh, 16, tell us how that happened. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, well, no, I do know. I mean, I, I, I went off um, that 83-84 season. Um, you know, every tournament uh, played really well, you know, sort of hitting four or 500 um, hitting home runs, hitting all pitches. And I think it, you know, and, and it, it's jumping ahead to the coaching, but it's it's what I'm telling some of the young guys nowadays is, you know, is put up the numbers so much that we can't ignore you. Um, and I think that's what actually happened at that stage because uh, I, we, we had this, um, uh, we had the, the inter-provincials that I was just talking about where, where Auckland won. Uh, then there was a training camp afterwards, which I was included in. Uh, so it was pretty cool going to a, you know, uh, we weren't the Black Sox then, but, you know, Black mm. Sox training camp yep. uh, straight after in, in Hawke's Bay. And, and then they picked a team to play an American All-Star team, I think it was. And they, um, I can't remember how many were there, but there was only like six or seven guys that didn't make it, and I was one of them. Mm. You know? So I, I was at a Colts tournament in Invercargill. And was list, you know, was listening to the games being played and stuff, and uh, so I kind of, you know, uh, I suppose the best thing about that was not making it took a lot of pressure off, and I just went out and played, um, and ended up having a pretty good club nationals, uh, which was at um, uh, Port Park in Christchurch, mm-hmm. and I think it got to the stage where, um, you know, I, I know talking to Mike Walsh now, he got to the stage where he couldn't ignore me, um, so. Yeah, going going away. You think going away as a sixteen year old? You think a sixteen year old nowadays? You're like, holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, no joke. Well, physically though, Mike Walsh was the coach. Did he ring you? What? How did that go? How did that happen? No, no, they there was no calls ahead of time. Um, Don't tell was, me it was a telegram. No, it was read out. <laughs> no, no. Okay. No, <laughs> I tele- yeah, I suppose telegrams are around then. Um, <laughs> No, we uh, there was a function at Cardinals Club Rooms at Nono Park, yep. and it was announced over the radio. Wow! Yeah. Oh wow! So um, uh, Jimmy Cotter was was in the team, and he was from Cardinals. Mm-hmm. So you know he was a, obviously a shoe in. Yeah. Um, and myself. So it's a paint the scene. The club rooms is quiet while the radio is playing. For this uh, for this announcement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. So it was a special That's night awesome, that awesome. put on for that. So. Yeah. 
you know, there, I don't know, there may be 100 people there, I suppose, that come down. Wow. Um, and, yeah, it ended up – and there was quite a cool photo uh, in the uh, the local rag. I, I don't know whether it was a Dom Dominion or the Evening Post mm-hmm. at the time, but yeah. of me sitting in between mum and dad and they both having a drink and uh, mum sort of rubbing my hair, you know, <laughs> a 16-year-old. Bloody. Well done. Son. Yeah, yeah, good on you. Can't even drink at that stage. No. 21 back then. No, well, we we had the it was funny. We had the final of the uh, Karuba series, which was the Inter City. Yep. And because uh, the team was named, I think before the final, and and the, the finals were the next weekend, and you you at the uh, wrap up of the Karuba series, which we won, um, you got uh, you got a bottle of Karuba for. Uh, being a player of the day, I think around the competition, and and then they gave out a bottle of Karuba for uh, for making the New Zealand side, and then they gave out another one for something else. So I was a sixteen year old with three bottles of Karuba, right? Um, and I thought That's that I had so okay back then. It was yeah, yeah. I thought I had to drink some that night. Well, I think the story goes that I got dropped off at uh, on the doorstep at at our place at about eight or eight thirty. Um, absolutely legless <laughs> and they rung the doorbell and took off <laughs> wasn't me and, yeah and then um so i can't i don't even know who answered the door uh but yeah I ended up vomiting in my bedroom oh. i've never drunk karuba since <laughs> there you go but the oh, funny part of the story was i was grounded for our prize giving that is so good. So I was in the Black Sox to go away to a World Cup, but I was grounded for the prize giving. I wasn't allowed to go. But then I got a call during the night. Um, Dad called and said, you better come down, have the prizes for the team, then you can go back home. So, yeah, I got to go for the prizes for the yep. team, and then I got sent home, right? So that Dave, he's got to be here. He's getting an award. Yeah. Damn it, the kid's yeah, grounded. What do I do? Imagine being grounded for your team, your club's uh, prize giving when you just made the New Zealand team. Imagine being in the New Zealand team and being grounded. Yeah. 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 Uh, mate, um, obviously that feeling of making the socks for the first time, but um, when was the first time you actually got to to uh, pull on pull on the cleats or the Mizuno helmet and, and actually play for them? Well, it wasn't quite Mizuno then. Um, but we did, I don't even know if we had helmets then. Was, oh, was it those days? I so love seeing those videos. Yeah, um, but it was um, it was in in Palmdale, California, mm-hmm. which uh, Palmdale Lancaster. You know, at the time the Lancaster Chameleons were a great team, and they'd come out to New Zealand. So we were there doing a build up tour and um, playing a yeah a local club team, and I actually went I went four for four. In my debut. No. Um, but, you know, I tell a story that this guy was throwing gas, uh, but truth be told, he he was a bit of a thumber <laughs> and probably couldn't even get a game at the local, you know, local club league over here. But, he, yeah, as far as the story goes, the legend grows that uh, this guy was throwing gas and I got four hits. Um, but, yeah, still, regardless, you know, uh, it was pretty cool to go out and play. And, you know, yeah, I... I the thing was with that '84 team, I even though I was catching, I went away as a, an outfielder, uh, never having played outfield before. So we got sponsored by Louisville Slugger mm-hmm. uh, for bats and gloves. And when we were down there picking out the uh, the gear down at the local place in the hut, Mike Walsh said to me, "You better get an outfielder's glove, okay? Don't get a mitt." And I'm like, <laughs> "All right, fair enough." I get the feeling I'm playing it yeah. out there. 
and I'd never played outfield before. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was uh, – and it was probably a good move because, you know, you're carrying the pressure and stuff behind the plate and as a 16-year-old it probably would have been a little bit too much. Um, but, yeah, I ended up playing a lot of games uh, in the outfield and, in fact, started in the final um, against Canada. What was that like? Um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. But at eighty four, was eighty four, eighty four. Where yeah. was that? Uh, Midland, Michigan. Oh yeah. Oh geez, that's a good place for you. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, had some great memories there. You know, one couple of ISFs and mm. a couple of ASAs, I think, there as well. Um, but uh, you know what? As 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 a sixteen year old, well, I didn't. You 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 don't. You don't fully appreciate pressure, you know. We, we as we get older, we complicate things with our brains running running amok. And at sixteen, I, I was still out there just playing. Yeah, you know, I remember in the uh, semi final game because I'd I'd been platooning with Jeff Strom in the outfield, and he'd he'd got injured in the quarter final game. He was he'd started in left field, uh, diving for a ball down the line, and and I was out there uh, for the semi final game against the US, and Owen Walford was pitching. And you know we're playing in, in the states, and while he was pitching for the he's US. pitching for the US, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. another one of our pitchers that got that terrible sickness of am- <laughs> amnesia. Forgot <laughs> where he came from. That's the, uh, um, but that's the a different music. story. Yeah, uh, and you know they 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 make a big deal that you know before the tournament you you got a sixteen year old in the Kiwi team, and so when you're out in the outfield, it's quite lonely out there, eh? Mm-hmm. Um, and you got the fans around you, and they were giving it to me. Absolutely giving me stick. And then there's a guy at the time, one of the best hitters in the game, guy Jeff Sype. And Sype was maybe 6'2", 6'3", but about 140 kilos. Massive left-handed hitter. And when he hit it, it's it stayed hit. And he hit a ball out to me in left field that I got down. You know, it was coming out to me and you get to try to do the right thing, get down on one knee, get him behind it, and boom, it hits me in the guts and wins me. <laughs> You know, that's how Hardy hit it. Wow. Um, you sort of pick it up and throw it in. And um, John Joyce, who was playing shortstop, you okay out there? And I went, yep, yep, I'm fine. Um, and the fans knew, and they just got right on me. Eh? Uh, it was great. And that, I, I, I learnt at that stage at a young age, you, you know, you've you, you got to embrace that. Yep. Uh, because if you, you allow it to affect you, you know, the game isn't so much fun anymore. So it was just, you know, you end up smiling and nodding to them and giving yep. them a bit of wave and carry on because, you know, if you let it bug you, your performance will go down. And uh, But it was, I, I, I guess it was by default that I I learned that. You know, I just didn't really phase me that they give me a hard time. It's like, oh, well, it's just kind of what I expected. Yeah. Just for our viewers' point of view uh, here, Mark, 84, tell us some of the names of the Black Sox in that era of 84. Oh, we had um, we had Jacko on the mound. You know, Jacko Steve through Jackson. the final. Yep, uh, Whitey. Mm-hmm. You know, young Whitey there. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Hulahi uh, was our captain, and uh, he was obviously the, the 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 doyen of of pitchers. You know, he was the he was the 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 big dog um, in America and had dominated mm. you know, global softball. Yeah. So, um, but a, a funny story. I actually roomed with him. Hulahi. Yeah, yeah. So oh. he was thirty six and I was sixteen. So it was like rooming with your father. And <laughs> you I remember to pick up everything off the floor. I mean, yeah, I remember coming home 
well, one night they'd go out to a bar and it's like, well, you can't come. So they sent me off somewhere else and I ended up being a little bit late coming home and I was knocking on the door to try and get into the room and Kevin had had a few and he wouldn't let me in and I kept knocking and knocking. He finally let me in and he was laughing away and, and I just shut the door and all of a sudden the door knocks again and I open it up and there's Lester Baldwin who was our team manager yeah. and there's me at like midnight yeah. fully dressed and he looked me up and down and said, why are you fully dressed? And I'm like, uh, 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 I don't know. <laughs> uh, Kevin, just maybe go to the shop and get him yeah. some coke. Yeah, so uh, Sticks was there with, with uh, Goldie behind the plate with uh, String. Mm-hmm. Murray, oh, Mc- yep. Murray McLean, Eddie Colassi, wow. uh, John Joyce, Jimmy Hall, uh, Daryl Stratford, trying to go around the diamond, uh, Stromy and myself in the outfield, Jimmy Cotter, Mike Nichols, um, Ray Marsh. Um, I don't know how many I've named so far. Yeah, but Some fantastic legends here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. great, great team. What about in the era of some of the international stars can you remember that you played against, like Canada, for instance? Well, Canada had uh, had a guy by the name of Gene McWillie throwing. Mm-hmm. Um and he was supposedly one of the hardest guys throwing at that time. Um, they also had Jim Cowdery, uh, who was their ace. Uh, Jimmy Jones was was playing for Canada. A uh, guy, Bob McKinnon, uh, who was a shortstop, about 6'6", six, six, massive. Ooh. Big, long arms, long legs. Yeah. Um, I don't remember too many other of the Canadians at the time. Oh, Terry Bader was the coach. Oh, wow. you know, we went to battle with with uh, Terry for a number of years. Um, as I said in the States, there was... Very there, clever coach. Yeah, uh, very very astute. Uh, you know, had a lot of success internationally and domestically. Um, the States, uh, uh, the Fog, Owen was pitching. Uh, they had a guy, Dennis Armel, throwing, who was a slingshot. No. Only guy I ever faced that, that was slingshot thrower. Um, Sight. Um, they had Brian, the greatest name in softball, Brian Rothrock. <laughs> Brian Rothrock. He could be a wrestler. Oh, it, makes, it makes me shiver just thinking about it now. <laughs> I remember walking into Borg Warner Field in Decatur, and Decatur ADM was their team. You know, they, they were yep. one of the best teams in America. Uh, ADM was one of the, the first of the super sponsors, I suppose, and and uh, Decatur was, was probably not on... Um, Lonely Planet's top ten most play, you know, most sought after locations to visit. Um, with all due respect, <laughs> however, you know, it was a it was a great softball park and one of the best ballparks that I've ever played in. And I remember walking in the very first time in '86, and a guy commentating by the name of Steve Sias, who became a great friend. He was on the mic, and I walking in through the turnstiles and everything going, and they always used to draw big on a Friday night, and it's now batting. Number 24, the center fielder, Brian Rothrock. <laughs> Rothrock. And I'm like, oh, jeez. You know, I'd only heard about this guy. Yeah. And that's the first name that I heard announced walking yeah. in. And I ran to get a seat, you know, to watch him. And, you know, he was just great, great hitter that, uh, you know, poise, uh, patience, didn't swing unless it was a strike, had great discipline, played center field, had a great arm. Uh, and when he hit it, it stayed hit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. He, he, so Rock was in the team um, at the time. The US sent a club side, and I didn't know many of the other guys. Um, 
I don't recall many of the other guys outside of that because they they picked up two or three guys at the time and and they picked up Rock and they picked up Syke. Um, I think Owen played for them. I don't remember too many others at the time. It's plenty of names for the young generation now that's been Googling those names yeah, in the yeah. last 10 minutes. Yeah, right? so yeah. They'll be like, wow, wow, because they want to hear about and find out a lot about them. Oh, well, fantastic, Mark, and, and an amazing feat there in your debut a World Series to make the final and also to contribute to the team. But, mate, only a couple of years after that, you mentioned a little bit earlier uh, that you got to go to the States for your first season and you went to one of the top teams, the farm. That that normally does not happen, and especially you would have only been 18 years of age. Yeah. Um, I was actually um, uh, pre-season training for, for rugby with uh, Petoni, um, local club in the hut. You know, they were they're, uh, certainly a dominant force then and, and pre-season with, um, with a senior group. Don't know where I would have ended up, but I uh, got the call... From Peter Meredith, who you know was the ace at the time, and asked me if I wanted to go over there and play. So, uh, having the love of softball that I did, it was uh, it was a no brainer. You know, it got got the approval from mum and dad. And first time I left home was to go to the states for six months. And because um, it was a tour in those days, right? It, six months. It was. It's a yeah, long time. Yeah, yeah, it was. You know, uh, you travel all the way around the world. Um, and go to Wisconsin and, you know, sort of late April, early May, and then you're there till mid-late September. So I uh, I got picked up by Meredith and, and the sponsor, Rod Peterson, on um, on the first night from the airport. And um, I, <laughs> I still remember that, you know, you'd travelled halfway around the world to, to play ball and, you know, you'd been travelling for a couple of days and, uh, we went out, uh, Pete. You know, you got you, you got a fake ID, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we went out for a drink and ended up that um, Pete uh, Pete left me there at the bar. Yeah, he uh, he met someone that he'd met before. Yeah, yeah. and um, left me there. Here I am, <laughs> first night in town, and I was lucky that a guy he introduced me to said, "Hey, uh, Dingles is gone. You better come with me." Um, so I slept on this guy's couch. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Wisconsin. Yeah, it was like welcome to America. <laughs> I was thinking, holy cow, what have I got myself into? Uh, because the people in Wisconsin, amazing people, you know, really hospitable, down to earth. But holy shit, can they drink? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they like to enjoy yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it, it was. Uh, I guess it was a baptism of fire. But I remember our first. Uh, first weekend we're playing in in Wausau, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're up there for the preseason tournament, and I was living with Mike Pieknik, you know, great Canadian pitcher, and who who ended up having the name of Peaches. And Peaches and I were in a room, and I don't know whether we overslept or what, but got up and and then got lost going to the park. Um. Got there and the game was in the second or third innings. <laughs> right. So I mean, I didn't know where we were going. Did you so have the Pe- right day? <laughs> Peaches was driving and he couldn't remember and driving all around. We end up finding it and um, it uh, ended up being a tight game. But he he put us in in about the third or fourth innings or something like that. Mm. 
and we lost one nothing on a pass ball from me. Oh, uh, so of course the sponsor who who traditional you know farm boy he, he was a bit grumpy, um, and yeah we carried on through and I mean I ended up um, having an okay season and I but I hit uh, I hit third during the IC, so I got to the stage where you know worked my way up the lineup and and you know caught uh, a lot of times. Um, with with both Pete and and Peaches, but uh, we played City League in Madison. In Madison, was this was this midweek? Yeah, right. yeah, mid, uh, midweek, and you know City League's pretty relaxed. Uh, but Rod, our sponsor, played, and he wore the number two shirt at the time. You know, I asked him about having the number two shirt, and I think he he was asking me. I thought he was asking me, asking him to put me in his will. You know the look, the look he gave me. Because uh, <laughs> he said to me, "You're not good enough to wear number two. It's like, all right. So, and and you're also not good enough to hit ahead of me. So, when we played city league during the week, I had to hit behind Rod, um, and he was terrible. <laughs> you know, I'm bless his soul, uh, may he rest in peace. Yeah. But Rod was a terrible hitter, but I, I wasn't allowed to hit ahead of him. Um, and he he was uh, he used he was to, a big man too, he was a right? Big man, yeah, big man. He's the only guy I think in softball that has a bigger head than me. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne Lalu, he's not. Oh a yeah, sorry, head. Wayne as well. Yeah, 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 Wayne, love him too. <laughs> yeah, I think Wayne's got a size eight. Head. I'm, well, I'm uh, seven and five eight. Oh yeah, it's out there. It's out there. <laughs> I think Rod might have even pipped Wayne. Oh, well, Rod yeah. had a massive melon. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he had old farm boy, you yeah. know, and and he uh, he owned. Jeez, he owned half of Madison, he, you know, 30 or 40 apartments and condos and stuff around town, and I just used to go around mowing lawns for him, which was a great job during summer, you know, yep. great weather up there, and then I'd also have to, he'd have a car collection, I'd also have to clean his cars and, you know, have Cadillacs and he'd have old classics and stuff, and had a really great time. Um, and at the time, he, he he was paying me 250 bucks a week um, to work, and go in there, you'd, you, I used to have to go in and see him every Friday morning and he would write me a check and the check would always be for $200. And it took me a few weeks before I got the courage to ask him. It's yeah. like, hey, it's supposed to be 250 but you're only paying me 200 And And he was he was like a really, it was a fatherly figure, you yeah. know, and grumpy old farm boy. And, he, and in the end he said, I'm putting aside $50 a week for your savings. He said, I'll give it to you at the end of the season. And true to his word, he put away fifty bucks a week. And at the end of the season, he said, "I'm not having you." you know, in his terms, I'm not having you pissing it down your leg or somewhere in Madison. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm giving you something to take home. So he was a compulsory savings scheme. <laughs> oh, um, awesome. So and but Rod uh, is notorious as as being one of the tightest uh, people in softball. Um, and <laughs> he, I remember, he bought me two drinks, uh, one on the night that I got there and one on the night I left. And uh, he, uh, on the night I left, he was taking me to the airport and he said, you know what? You could be the most overrated ball player I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, gee, thanks. Really enjoyed the year with you too, you know. So they left and then, you know, went, obviously came back and played here and then um, the next year I got recruited to go to Sioux City to Pincorp and Paul McGann was there and they were looking for another catcher and uh, long story short I was a part of it and then we go down to Decatur who I talked about the Rothrock story we're playing there and run into Rod 
um, we were playing the farm and I hit two home runs off them in the game. And after the game, he came out to me, he says, how come you never came back to us? <laughs> and I said, most overrated ball player you've ever seen. And he goes, no, 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 I was just joking, you know. <laughs> you should have brought me more than two drinks the whole yeah. season. And I was wearing number two as well. Oh. <laughs> uh, but no, he, uh, it, we, we had a, you know, a great uh, rapport over the years and that was you know, really, uh, really grateful for the opportunity to go over there because it gave me an opportunity to – um, I guess showcase my talents and, and abilities, and then you know when Sioux City just took it to another level, you know. And I think uh, you know I talked about having a great time in Green Bay because the guys were a similar age. Um, I think Sioux City was probably my making as as a ball player um, because it it really showed me, you know, in terms of if there ever was professionalism in softball, um, that was where it was, and that's where it started. You know, we we had the best of the best. Um, everything we did, you know, whether it be rental cars and black uh, Lincoln Town cars, you know, um, uniforms, you know, the 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 rotation of the uniforms. You know, you you pull into a town on a Friday night with four or five Lincoln Town cars with blacked out windows. It's like the mafia coming in, you know, and you get out and you're wearing your black uniform, um, and you're intimidating people right mm, from the start. Yeah, and yep. and we did that, you know, and uh, one year and. Uh, 91, 92, somewhere around there, we won 100 games. We played, you know, well over 100 games. It was, we were like 102 and, and 4 or 102 and 5, you know. We, uh, so we played 107, 108 games and only lost four or five games, but we won 100 games in one year. Yeah, wow. You know, and when you say that number, you think about it, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, um, and we especially went, against some of the talent you were playing too, right? Oh, and we went all over America. Yeah, you know, we went to the, you know, uh, Southern Cal. We went to the Northwest. We went to BC. You know, you go down to the East Coast. We we went to Ontario. We went everywhere, um, and we pretty much won everything. You know, but uh, that those years, uh, seven years, I think it was, I had in, in Sioux City were. You know, was I suppose where I really got to establish myself as a player. You know, and I guess as a as a young New Zealander, young Kiwi boy going over there, the greatest uh, tick of approval was the fact that you got invited back. You know, the next year. You know, so it meant that you'd taken care of the things that you need to take to take care of on the field and off mm. the field. Mm. Um, and even though for a period there, I think my first year in Sioux City in 87, um, and New Zealand softballers would be surprised by this, I got the nickname of uh, Spuds McKenzie, <laughs> which at the time was a Bud, Bud Light, um, uh, you know, the, the theme behind Bud yep. Light was because he was the party animal. So I, I, I was the party animal, um, which will surprise a lot of people. But anyway. Uh, it's <laughs> Remember, fair you're the coach now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. It's fair to say I, I had a pretty good time and you yeah. know, turning up as a 19-year-old getting off a plane and you get handed the keys to a, a convertible uh, Camaro um, IROC, you know, and you, you you kind of think you've made it. Well, it, it, mate, to, to be fair, when you talk about that Sioux City Pincourt team, uh, arguably one of the best teams ever at the IC, or definitely at least in the conversation of the best teams uh, in history, uh, of the IAC, and, and as you mentioned, the number of games you guys played, and it must have it must have felt like with, with you talking about all the cars and everything, it must have felt like playing on a major league baseball team. 
Oh, first year there, um, our sponsor, Ken Opstein, had his own Learjet. So he, he used to fly us around in a, in a Learjet. Uh, and you'd have he'd have his staff serving, you know, shrimp cocktails on the plane. And it's like, oh, there's a boy from Nanai on a Learjet getting served uh, shrimp cocktails by his sponsor's staff. Um, so, yeah, you, you certainly... Uh, you certainly got a false impression of the world because you were well paid, uh, you were well looked after. You know, we we had the best, as I said, had the best of everything, and and it got to the stage where uh, where you know the the monster started to grow horns, and that you know ego sort of took over, and and you know it was so bad. Well, in the end, I it wasn't so bad, but if you got a hole in your pants, you just went down and got a new pair of pants. You didn't get them mended. You know, so it was just uh, sort of the beast started to uh, take over a little bit. But, you know, we, there was an event that we didn't win, and I think we won, uh, while I was there, four or five ICs, three or four ASAs, um, you know, and, and basically took on anybody and everyone and weren't afraid to hide or anything mm. like that. Played against all the best teams um, all over North America. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Sioux City isn't uh, the greatest place in the world to go to, kind of like Decatur. I don't know what it was, but, mm. you know, the best ball teams in America are in the really shitty cities. Um, <laughs> Love you, Sioux City. And, yeah, and uh, people in Sioux City, I've got great memories of being there. Yeah. Um, but you, yeah, the, you again, uh, not in Lonely Planets, um, yeah. top 10 destinations of must-see. But, you know, we had a great ball team, a great sponsor, and uh, it was a really fun time. What did uh, those years of playing in the ICs teach Mark Sorensen? Well, it was you, you were playing the best each week, you know, and, and I'd always had a drive to, to be the best, you know, starting out with Cardinals. You want to be the best on the Cardinals team. Then you want to be the best in the Hutt Valley, and then you want to be the best in New Zealand, and you go to the States, and you want to be the best over there. You want to be the best in the world. And So playing alongside the best and competing against the best each week, you know, we're always playing on Sunday, you know, so you're always playing in the big games. Uh, you got to learn a lot about yourself, uh, a lot about your teammates. You learned, you know, about preparation and the importance of preparation uh, and the importance of taking care of yourself. You know, sort of made sort of lighthearted jibes about, you know, having a good, good time. And, and you certainly need to because, you know, you can't. it can't be all um, serious stuff. But, you know, when when the game was on, the game was on. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you didn't... Uh, you didn't just try and flick a switch on a Sunday morning type thing. Uh, you know, you knew you had a job to do and there was an expectation. But it certainly, um, excuse me, helped me as a uh, as a ball player develop and learn more about the game, about how the game was played. You know, a lot of people know how to play, but they don't know how the game is played. And I think that's probably the, the most critical thing is uh, uh, during that period, I, I, I learned how to play the game. Mark, you played, um, and you talk about a little bit about some of the other highlights in the ICs, but you played around about 18 years in the ICs. You were at 12 times all world, arguably one of the most decorated uh, athletes to play the ICs. Why? Uh, <laughs> oh, look, I, I saw the IC at the time um, as being the pinnacle event, you know, because whilst the... Um, you know, playing in the ISFs and the, and the World Series was fantastic. The US could only have three pitches. You know, we could only have three pitches. Canada could only have three pitches. But, 
you go to the uh, the ISC, and there's, you know, the top fifteen teams had fireballers. You know, you you you, you know, I could reel names off. You know, mm. guys that just and you know there was there was probably ten New Zealand. You know, that, you know, we use example now people that that locally that know you know Chappie and and JP. You know, there there were ten or twelve guys like them yeah. just from New Zealand over there pitching, mm, mm. and then they had the American guys and and the Canadian guys. Um, there wasn't too many outside of uh, US, Canada, and New Zealand at the time, but the level of competition was phenomenal. You know, fifty-two teams, and you're playing a double elimination tournament, and it was really dog eat dog. Mm. Yeah, you know, and and there was there were big crowds, big expectation, and you know the first time that we won it with Sioux City was in '88, and we lost our first game. And so you then had to go the long way. We had to go the long way. We had to play ten in a row, <laughs> right? Yeah. But the good thing about that because if you win in the IC at the time, you got a day off. Yeah. So you win, you play, you get a day off. You win, you get a day off. So you 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 don't get a chance to get into any rhythm, get any momentum. But when you go into the losers bracket, you just play one game a day. Yeah. Until it, the weekend. Is it? Is, I'm sorry, I just want to make sure I'm correct here. It's lose two, you're gone though, right? Yeah. So once little, you've lost one, yeah. So you're on your last life. Yeah. So every day we were playing for the rooms, mm, mm. and you got you got into a routine, you know, each day you're up at a certain time, you'd have BP, you'd get something to eat, you'd go out to the park, you'd warm up for the game, you'd play your game, and then you'd reset and you'd do it again the next day, you know. And we got into a um, a really good role, really good rhythm, and, you know, we had a had a good team. Um, and, you know, Jim, Jim Weiner was on the team. Uh, and, in fact, uh, Jim was a winning pitcher in the final and he got, uh, top pitcher and I got MVP, um, and we were uh, nineteen and twenty, I think, or eighteen and nineteen, so quite young. But uh, and and that was in Decatur, Illinois. So you know, probably why I had such fond memories of Decatur mm. um, because of you know the success that managed to have there. Can I ask, Mark, how are you at this pers- at, at this time as a person? Like you've had so much happen and go right for you in in such a short time, like. You, you talk about egos and stuff like that, but like, how how were you as a person like adapting to that kind of life? Um, I I I I think I was pretty tough to play with back here yeah. because I had standards that were hard for other guys to live up to, you know. And um, you know, I, I still had a bit of growing up to do at the time. You know, you. You you go over there and you're flying in Lear jets and you're getting all the the flash stuff and you cut and that was the the big part about for me was that you you know you do all the flash stuff overseas but you come home to help the game yeah you know and that's why Cardinals was always important because you always came back and always played and you know you pretty much played almost every game um, so yeah I think in those early years um, well no you know I, I certainly had a bit of growing up to do. Um, in terms of not getting too big-headed, you know, not getting ahead of yourself, not being a dickhead. Uh, would have been easy to, But though, at various stages, I, I, I would have worn each of those hats. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, but I, I guess I've always been a guy that has never strived to, uh, to be liked. Yeah. I've always just wanted to be respected. You know, and I think when, with that type of... Um, Mindset and attitude is that you know sometimes to you know the old saying to make an omelet you got to crack a few eggs, 
Um, and when you get into leadership roles and management roles and whether it be in business or whether it be in sport, you know, there's times you're going to have to make decisions that aren't popular. You know, and some, you know, you, in club stuff, you, you're driving, you know, those stages, you, you're playing a senior role in, in terms of leadership and helping with coaching and doing stuff. And uh, probably just, you know, you look back and if you could change some things, you probably would, but we know that we can't. But, you know, reflection is a great leveller, but it's also um, a catalyst for improvement and self-improvement and development. And, you know, um, I've always wanted to... Uh, be successful, but as I said, you know, want to be respected. But I think you you could never compromise in terms of values around being a good person. Yep. You know, and I think you know it took a while, but I had to learn to be a good teammate as well. You know, because everybody had a certain level of skill. Um, and it took me a while to lead in with captaincy like that because you know you you think you had to say the most, to do the most, to lead the most. Um, but you know, as as you get older and and you mature, you learn about you know trusting others and and delegating to others um, and empowering others and making people around you better because then it makes you you know um, better as a team. And you know, I guess we all saw that in the the Jordan um, you know documentary Seriously. on Netflix. And not that I want to compare myself to him at all, but more the, certainly the the lesson learned was. You know, as soon as you make the people around you better, you start having more success because you can't, you know, you can't hit a grand slam with no one on base. Mm-hmm. We talked about this last year about the the Jordan Docco that you you saw those comparisons. So, have you taken a lot away from that in the in the last twelve months? Oh, I've always been a. Um, I'd always like to think that I've been a student of the game. You know, I always uh, was one of the last to leave the park, even after we were playing. You know, I, I love watching other teams play, I always wanted to see what people did, how they played, and whether it be, you know, softball, rugby, soccer, basketball, whatever, I, you know, I'm a great, um, I'm a great fan, you know, I'm a great sports fan, um, and, you know, I, I admire the, you know, the Jordans, the, the Tiger Woods, the Federers, you know, the Michael Schumachers, you know, the great top athletes, and, you know, I always look for, that little gem that you could use um, that, you know, uh, contributed to the X Factor, you know, because anybody can, you know, in our game, as you know, anybody can get a hit Monday to Wednesday. You know, I wanted to be that guy that that was relied on to get the hits on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, to be that guy um, when the pressure was on, you know, I wanted to be the guy at the plate. Um, And and as I got older... um, you know, uh, wanted to pull my catching into it as well because so much of my game was focused around, so much of expectation was focused around hitting an offence. But, you know, you learn that, um, you know, some of your greatest contribution can actually be on the defensive side with your pitches and, and making them better. So, you know, when you, you're able to pull the two together uh, and provide that all-round performance, it, it's quite satisfying. Just a little bit back on the uh, 12 all-world achievements at 18 IC tournaments. The consistency, though, over those eighteen years to be to make that all world team twelve times through that period, you played against some of the greats uh, at that at that time, and you talk about your hitting. I, I guess arguably we know you as a catcher and become one of the best catchers in the world, but easily one of the best hitters in the world. How did Mark Sorensen become a top hitter? Um, you know, one of the. Uh, 
I read a Michael Jordan book. Um, I don't know when it was, but, you know, he talked about the one area, the one court that he never wanted to get beaten on was a practice court. You know, so uh, I realised then that in order to be successful, you're going to, you know, the only time success comes before work is in the dic- dictionary. So, you know, I um, I think it, it, it sort of coincided with um, playing year-round, you know, so uh, mastering your craft in a North American summer and, a, and in our summer, but also, um, you know, I developed a really good work ethic. And uh, Sioux City was probably the start of it because, mm. you know, when I first went there, um, I, I, one of my jobs, well, my job was uh, was at the ballpark. Sponsor owned the park and, and you know, I was out there mowing lawns and painting dugouts and doing all types of different stuff at the park that you do to make sure it's ready and marking lines and... And then at the end of the day, um, I'd get the batting machine out, you know, and whoever was there with me would feed me balls, you know, and I'd it'd be, no, no, just a couple more, just a couple more. Um, and when you've got a park to yourself, a pitching machine, someone to hit, you know, feed the feed the machine, you, you hit till you, you, I was going through batting gloves every couple of weeks, you mm, know. Mm. Uh, and then as the years developed, it was quite funny because we used to, there was five or six of us working at the park because people were coming in from all over America or all around the world to play. And and so I was looking after the right-handers, batter's box and first base because <laughs> I'd moved to first base for a period there. So, yeah. you know, and there was other guys looking after shortstop and second base and pitchers mound. And um, so, yeah, we're, but the same thing, it would be an impromptu training then. So at the end of it, you know, we got into the habit of um, having a workout, you know, taking some ground balls, um, you know, pitches throwing, hitters taking some cuts. And then you throw in conditioning. It was probably sort of uh, late 80s, early 90s, I started lifting. And, you know, it got to the stage where I, I'd lift on game days, you know, just part of my game day routine. Oh. Um, nothing heavy, yeah. but, you know, you you'd, it just found a way of activating to get ready, you know, and – you stick to yourself and your own routines and stuff, but I had a nice routine that I went through in terms of preparation to make sure that I was ready to play. And um, I, I really, you know, the, the States for me was the ultimate in terms of measuring yourself against the best in the world. Uh, and that's, you know, those years probably through um, or late 80s to to mid-late 90s, you know, where it were, oh, it's obviously over a long period, but it, it, it's a great growth span. And I don't know, just you never. I never set out in '86 to uh, make the All World Team twelve times, but uh, you know, made it the first time in in '87. Uh, and then it was like, hmm, kind of like this. I, I like the look of these plaques. Um, and there was a certain status that came with you know All World Team at the time. It's like everybody wanted to be there. And at the end of the event, if you didn't win it, people wanted to know who who made the All World Team. Mm. You know, so there was a status with it, and it's uh, uh, it was cool, and it was a reflection of obviously performance. So um, it was the pinnacle event, and I wanted to be my best to to perform in that event. And you know, I was fortunate enough to play with some great teams, and you know, be surrounded by some great players, and and those players make you better. You know, as much as I talk about wanting to make the players around me better, you know, playing around great players makes you better as well. So. Uh, I had, you know, both sides of that coin, and you, know, you get to the stage where you're confident in your own skin. Um, you know you've done the work, 
and you know you're as good as any. Um, so you develop a little bit of a swagger. But, you know, top athletes, there's that fine line, that, yep. that you know, confidence and arrogance. And, you know, and, and I think as an athlete, a high-performing athlete, you've got to have a level of that. Um, you can't be a dickhead, but you've certainly got to have that level of, of arrogance and um, that confidence getting close to arrogance, you know. Uh, and and I backed myself, you know, I backed myself against anyone. And it got to the stage where sometimes, you know, during games um, – if, the, if it didn't matter, I'd strike out on purpose because I wanted the pitcher to think that he, he got on top of me because I knew that if I got an opportunity later in the game, um, I would get on top of him. You know, sometimes you swing and miss on purpose um, to make that pitcher Set think he's got you. Mm. Um, you know, so it, it become uh, a game within a game, you know, and we, we developed in Sioux City, a, um, I suppose, a database of, of pitchers and... We were adding to it all the time. Yep. yep. And, you know, you – but when – you know, there were times there when 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 I was on, you know, I hit the right field foul line on purpose with a ball that you're driving down the line on an outside pitch, you know. You you had that much control over mm. that pitch. Mm. Um, you know, and there's only a small window when you've got that, but you know if I get that pitch out there, I'm driving it right down there. Um. You know, I mentioned some great battles uh, at the plate with some great pitches. You know the, you know the Merediths and the, you know the the Zacks. You know where you know two of the amazing pitches. You know Brad Underwood, uh, big Canadian lefty. That first time I faced him in '87 at uh, in Saskatoon at the IC. I think he struck four guys out in the first innings, and we were one nothing up. <laughs> what the yeah. And I was one of the four. <laughs> first pitch he threw, he just shoot gas, you yeah. know, big lefty. Uh, first pitch he threw was right at my head. Um, you know, and you get knocked down and you stand up again and you, you know, your chest goes out and you look out there and, and Andy's got this massive left arm and he's just flexing it at you and you like, yes, <laughs> thank you, can I have another? Yeah, and and um, poor thing about him playing with Owen Sound is he used to strike out seventeen, eighteen a game, but they didn't get him a lot of runs. You know, he'd have to hit in a run, but in this game, yeah, he struck out. He struck out our leadoff hitter. Uh, catcher dropped it, moved around on a couple of pass balls. Uh, I was hitting four, and this is for Sioux City, and he struck me out, and the catcher dropped the ball, and the run scored. So he struck four out in the first innings. <laughs> And was down one nothing. No one could hit the ball, and no one could catch the oh, ball. No. no, we won one nothing. That was it. It was all wow. yeah. But he he just threw gas. Yeah. You you talked a little bit of, uh, about your uh, Sioux City team and, and scouting the pitches. Is this the beginning of the infamous black book of Mark Sorensen? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, you know the uh, group of guys on the team that started to to do that and. Um, you know, it ended up being on a, a continuous, uh, continuous computer paper. Remember that the, the, the yeah. sprocket holes down the side yeah. and and perforated. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it was printed out. And yeah, we we had to pull it apart and keep it in a folder. And mm. yeah, that's uh, that's where that started. Um, and because you know. Uh, you, you can you can be playing and you're saying, "Geez, what's that guy's name?" You know, and it's like, uh, you know, John Smith. Yeah, yeah. When, when did we face him last? Oh, I remember he was in Colorado when we played there. It's like, ah, so uh, we had something on him. What was it? And you couldn't remember. So you yeah. know, it's like anything. You you 
you've got to start recording it. Um, and that's how that kind of started, you know. And I, I think that I, I started to learn then the benefit of capturing that information. So that's when it enhanced my desire to be a student of the game because the more I watched, the more I learnt. And, you know, uh, picking pitches became something that I prided myself on. And there weren't many guys that I couldn't get. And if you know what's coming, uh, it increases the percentages in your favour. And it got to the stage where pitches, and it still does nowadays when I'm coaching, is, is pitches are so worried about getting picked, they're forgetting about everything else, you know, and one thing with the Sioux City team we developed was that, you know, when we're start of a game, everybody was up on the net watching the pitcher, so that when the pitcher looked over to our dugout, he just saw 17 sets of eyes staring at him. Whether we had them or not, didn't matter. It was what we were making out we had, Mm. you know, and then you get the guys together and you have a bit of a talk, and you're not talking about him, but by this stage, he's, he's a wreck. They've got me. How'd they get me? Yeah. Have a look. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, it's, there's there's a number of different ways you can beat guys. And sometimes it's yeah. without even scoring a run. On that, just on the picks, what's the funniest pick you ever picked up off a pitcher? Like it's <laughs> the funniest towel, you know? Uh, Dewey Dyke. Yeah. Uh, Dewey was from um, Minot, North Dakota, I think was the first time I saw him. Um, he came out and played... He played, didn't he play up on the shore? I think Dwayne so. Dwight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not when I was there, but I, I do remember him. Um, he used to stick his tongue out on the change-up. Ah. Yeah. His tongue used to go out. And, uh, I mean, he ended up, uh, he moved from uh, North Dakota and he went and played in Salt Lake City for a number of years. And, you know, they he, he was their, their ace and he had a tough change-up. But as soon as we saw, and it was the most basic thing. <laughs> Is that right? Tongue went out on a change-up, yeah. And it wasn't, I mean, it went right out. Is it wasn't right? just poking out. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the change-up. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and he couldn't work it out how all of a sudden we just got his change-up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some guys do some really weird things, eh? But uh, that's probably the thing that springs to mind straight away. Did you keep this black book of yours operating your whole career? How many times did you try to get bribed to open that black book to other people? Well, I know one time I roomed with Chub Tangaroa. He went into my bag <laughs> and he got it and went through it and found out how I had him because the next time we played him, he'd changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little flick of the glove, he'd changed. Uh, and I knew, I, it was like, you've been into my bag, haven't you? And he nodded. Yeah. <laughs> so I go, oh, well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you you know, it's it's – it's all about continuous learning. Yeah. You know, and you can, it's the old, you know, the cliche, it's a success is a journey, it's not a destination. And, you know, I think um, you, when you start out as a, as a young athlete, it's a 100 metre race. But as you get to the later stages of your career, it, it becomes a marathon, you know, and you're yeah. pacing yourself and you know, you know the times. And, you know, as a young guy, you want to get hit every time at bat, you know, and if you don't hit a thousand, you, you're hard on yourself. Where, as an older guy, you you know, as I said, you want to be that guy that does it in the big, big situations, at the big times. Because as I said, anybody can get a hit midweek. Um, you know, the people that are remembered are the ones that that get the hits uh, on the weekend when the game really matters. Two thousand and ten, you're inducted into the IC Hall of Fame, mate. Before getting to that stage, 
what would you reflect on as, as um, you know, one of your fondest highlights of, uh, of the ICs? Um, it's probably uh, Friday night at the events, you know, opening night, turning up and hanging out in the beer tent. <laughs> uh, but Friday nights used to be a, a, a really big, and it may still be, um, uh, socialising night where you're seeing guys that you hadn't seen for a while. So, you know, you used to just, there was a lot of mixing and mingling and guys, you know, at the stage we sort of had 40 or 50 Kiwi guys over there playing. You know, so um, kind of like a, 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 it's a reunion, you know, walking into the park that Friday night and seeing everybody was, regardless of where it was, was was always pretty cool. Um, you know, that, the, the, on, uh, the off-diamond stuff. Um, winning is always pretty cool, you know, uh, but it was just, I, I, I think it was just really the competition, you know, because you, you couldn't have an off game. You know, if you were off your game, you're out. Um, you knocked out really quickly. So the level of, um, you know, the standard of play, the level of competition uh, is something that probably stands out for me the most. Uh, and, and it's where... I said it was the best of the best, um, and I, I just loved it. Long time, 18 years you played in the ICs, uh, Mark, and we're about to go back to the Sox in a second. How And, and because this younger generation there is now, they, they won't know much about your playing career time, as in seeing you getting to play, uh, the younger group that's at the ICs now, but how would you like to have been remembered as a player at the ICs? Uh, as a go-to guy, you know, a guy that could be relied on. Um, as I as I just said, you know, a guy that could be relied on in, in big situations. Um, you know, a, a, a guy that was loyal, um, hardworking, um, and I suppose honest. Sounds like some pretty good qualities to me, Damien. Absolutely. Um, just as we leave the ICs, mate, because uh, we're about to go back to the, the, the socks here, um, how important do you think it is for the up-and-coming or even established uh, New Zealand athlete to play ICs? Oh, look, I, I think it was the making of me uh, at the time. And I think if, if a young athlete has the opportunity to go over there and, and play, um, I think they should, yeah. It's... A, it's um, it's you know the well it's it's still a good event. Um, I don't think it's got the depth like it used to. No, um, but you know just the fact that you're playing year round. Um, you know you you you're playing against good competition more regularly. You're playing in a different area. There's a different environment, um, a different understanding of the game. You know, so you get to learn a lot more than you know playing at Fraser Park on a Saturday. You, you, um, and I'm trying to get off the ICs here, but you, you talked about uh, back at the beginning there, where it was predominantly uh, Kiwis, Americans, and Canadians uh, pretty much made up the the, boot, um, the, the playing rosters of teams. Uh, but now there's so many other players from around the world and the best of the best from other players, whether it be South America or Europe. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's truly become a bit of a global event. Yeah. You know, you, you got the dingoes over there and. Um, with the Argies, um, you know, the uh, the Czech boys are, are getting the odd guy in there as well. Um, the Venezuelans, 
you know. So as I say, the, the, there's a number of different countries that are represented there now. So, you know, it's really got that international flavour, even though they, they talked about it being the International Softball Congress back in the yeah. 60s and 70s, yeah. when it was only Americans yeah. playing. <laughs> <laughs> Last question, I see, I promise. You were inducted with um, uh, Darren Zach. Uh, and you got to play with him also as part of your career as well. What was your thoughts about Z? Oh, Z was a great man, you know, a, a fierce competitor. And we only played together when we were both at the tail end of our career. And Oh, this County Materials time then? Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and it was probably uh, a fitting farewell, really. Um, and it was funny because when, we, uh, when we, he pitched and I caught, we didn't connect at all. You know, pitcher catcher connecting. We, we had, uh, Darren's used to calling his own game. Yeah, I'm used to telling the pitcher what to do, and it didn't work. It was, I think, it was doomed from the start. But we were able to laugh about it. But yeah. I had some great battles um, with Darren at the plate, and you know, huge respect for what he's achieved over the years. You know, he was a guy that just took the ball and threw. You know, and I think it was '99 uh, in Sioux City where uh, the Toronto Gators lost their first game. And he threw 10 in a row. He went the whole distance, yeah, right? Yeah. He threw every game, you know, and he's a big man. Yeah. Uh, and it was hot. You know, Sioux City in, in August is, is hot. Um, but he was out there and he did it and, you know, big ups to him. So, uh, that, that, what, what year was that? I think it was 99. So where were you then? I was with Broken Bow. Broken Bow by then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Doc. Oh, okay. Um, oh, mate, what an amazing. Maybe it was 95. Was it? Maybe it was 95, actually. Uh, I was with Green Bay because they beat us. Oh, okay. Uh, 99, it was back in Sioux City, but mm. uh, the farm won it in 99. Alfie won. Nice. And that, and that uh, sorry, in that event, uh, Todd Martin blew his uh, calf or his groin, the first pitch of the first game or the first innings of the first game, and Alfie had to go the whole way. Um, as He was really dominant then. So, yeah, I think it was, sorry, it was 95. Uh, I said last question. <laughs> um, you got to catch a lot of different pitches, so non-New Zealanders as well, while you were in those 18 years at the ICs. If you had to pick one, who would you pick? Uh, I still say Whitey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the first guy to ever throw a perfect game in, in the final of an ISF, uh, and seeing what he did... Uh, and forget the fact that he's a Kiwi, but it was more about the achievement, um, is, is pretty special. Because it was, it was a tough Canadian team we were playing against, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'd have to say Whitey. Nice. He, he was just a, such a fierce competitor. And, you know, he wouldn't give up. Even on days when he didn't have his good stuff, he found a way to win. You know, and that's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got some gonads, eh? Well, that's uh, 1996 Midland where uh, Waddy throws a perfect game there uh, for you guys to win. Um, and the Sox, obviously, you had a few other World Cups uh, in before that as well. But does does that game, is that one of the, the hallmark games for Mark Sorensen as well? Yeah, I think that in, in 2004, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because it was the last game that I played for the Sox. And it was at home, you know, and there was there was so many... Things that stars aligned, um, you know, and even though we fell down three nothing in that first uh, first innings, um, you know that the 
the way that the game turned and the result and the event and you know first time we'd hosted uh, an event since 76 you know so yeah closing out um, a career like that on that note it was pretty cool so that's certainly you know you dream as a, I dreamt as a boy I hit a home run in the final level world series it took me six to get there uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah I suppose it was a pretty important one um, but the you know, I, I, you know, we took a lot, and I touched on it before. And we, you know, we talk a lot about my hitting and what we did there. But you know, the, some of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, '96 and 2000, I caught in the final of the World Series, and my pitchers never gave up a hit. You know, so Whitey in '96 and Marty in 2000 threw a no hitter against Japan. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that that you know I'm, I'm extremely proud of. That you know from from a catching point of view, that caught the fi- two finals and never gave up a hit. What's Mark Sorensen like at a World Cup? You know, if you're going to get to a stage where you're able to call a game against all of these international players, what's Mark Sorensen like in camp uh, in preparation for that? What What do you do? Is it is a well, as a player uh, pretty intense? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it was all you know, it's all about winning, and. At the time, it was four years in between drinks. So, you know, you wanted to come out the back end of the tournament not having to sleep with a rock under your pillow for four years. Yeah. You know, we, we got that in 92 um, when we failed in the Philippines. Um, but, yeah, you know, really, uh, uh, even though I like to think of myself as, as, as fairly laid back, um, uh, I'm a pretty intense competitor. And lots of you know, I got got my routine. Uh, as a player, I, I had some superstitions, you know, that you I always wanted to, you know, prepare a certain way. Oh, you've um, got to tell us now. What's what's Mike Sorensen's? Oh no, just part of your your pregame routine and yeah. stuff. And you know, you wanted to make sure that you got, you know, I didn't want to take I didn't want to take my batting practice. Uh, you know, some teams like to bat first, second, third. You know, want to take my batting practice later. You know, uh, start warming the pitcher up a little bit later. Um, go through, so it's it's a little bit selfish, but it was also about doing the things that because you know we we back in ninety two we had a mental skills coach for the first time. Um, they called a sports shrink then, but they've got this flash name now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he talked about you know take care of yourself first, get yourself ready, and then. Start working to help others, you know, get so a picture type thing. So it was just part of a routine that I, you know, that I went to, and I always wanted to make sure that I cleaned my cleats before the game so that they are nice and clean. I went through reading my uh, scouting notes that I had, um, uh, whoever we're playing, mm-hmm. um, go through if I had any picks on the pitches, you know, do a little bit of visualization around the last time I faced this picture, what did they throw me. Um, and then, you know, just sort of part of the building into a game slowly. Um, and then, you know, my my on-deck routine was the same for, oh, I don't know how many years, but, I, you know, I would go out with two bats. Um, I would do a figure eight um, with the two bats, you know, below my waist, um, have a swing at the bottom of the zone, middle of the zone, top of the zone, and I'd drop my bat, and I'd always then swing a bat lighter than mine. Uh, a lot of people always used to swing a weighted bat, you know, uh, but I'd swing a lighter bat because I wanted to make sure that 
fast twitch fibers I was getting ready and making sure that I'm swinging good bat speed um you know and then as I walked up I had a certain amount of steps to the box I had my little routine with my feet that uh, I got the box ready to a certain stage had a little mound there I knew exactly where I wanted to stand you know had my couple of swings brought my back slowly back got set had my hands open took my last breath before the pitcher was grabbing the grabbing the pitch and then narrowed your focus onto the pitcher so I don't recall ever not doing that Except one time, yeah. Paddy Shannon. Um, it's funny you brought him up a bit about before. That just reminded me. Yeah. This one time at band camp, uh, uh, we were playing. It was my last ISC in Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, we were. Uh, it was the opening night, I think, and um, all of our players hadn't got in there. So Paddy was leading off, and I was batting two. And, you know, I got my routine I just talked about beforehand. Mm, you, you, bat, you put your left-handed batting glove on first, put your right-handed yeah. batting glove on second, I'm gone. And Paddy, he doesn't take pitches up. No. He just goes out and he's grip it and rip it. Yeah. Well, he, he went out on the first pitch. He lead off. What's going yeah. on here? And I'm like, Paddy, fuck, what are you doing? <laughs> and he, you know, Paddy being Paddy, he's yeah. like, all right, you're, you'll be right, champ. <laughs> <laughs> so I go up to the box and I'm like, I haven't even seen the pitches he's thrown. So I go up to, and, and the guy ended up pitching, um, uh, his name escaped me, but he pitched for Hutbilly Marist out here um, a few years later and went up and first pitch, was like, I was trying to work out what what uh, what he was throwing. First pitch, rise ball for a strike. Okay. Uh, didn't swing. Second pitch, rise ball for a strike, and I didn't swing. And uh, third ball, Third pitch, rise ball for a strike, and I didn't swing. And to the umpire, it's still three strikes and you're out. And he goes, yeah. And so I walked off and didn't swing, right? And Paddy's going, what are you doing? I went, you went out on the first pitch. I didn't get to see enough pitches. <laughs> so <laughs> it, allowed, it, it threw me right out of my routine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, next time round, um, I ended up hitting a home run. And and we had a bit of a joke about it, you know, because uh, Paddy sort of, you know, when he came on the scene, we um, – um, I had an equal, you know, and and it's not meant to be disrespectful for mm. any others, but yeah. first time he went away on tour, we were up in um, Grand Prairie, uh, Manitoba, and I hit two home runs in the first game against uh, Ryan Brand, and then Paddy went out in the second game in court, and he hit two home runs, and he comes in after the second one and goes, okay, what's next, champ? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so yeah. and, and in that last... The last game at the IC, um, I hit a home run off Andrew Kirkpatrick and uh, our third time through the order, and then Paddy hit one after me. You know, so there are a number of times that uh, that we went back to back, and um, he's a, he's a great great hitter, and it's great yeah. to hear that he was on the show because yeah. I mean, he, I I don't think personally that Paddy got enough recognition uh, domestically for what he has done and achieved and. You know, the fact that at international level he hit two game-tying home runs in the final of World Cups is not given enough recognition because that's big. It's clutch for the capital city right there. That's right? yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, You talk about anyone can hit him on days one, two and three. It's yep. the guy that hits him on days. Especially with the batting stances. Fuck that. <laughs> 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 
It's like, you don't Did you ever try your, to talk about you it? I don't want to let the kids see that. God. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Michael Gager pitching for us, and he says, what do we throw to Paddy? And it's like, belt high drop balls down the middle. And he goes, What? I said, well, he's got that st- that stance and he can switch and he can hit the inside drop ball, he can hit the outside drop ball, he can hit the inside rise ball, he can hit the outside rise ball. I don't think he can hit the pitch right down the middle. <laughs> and for a period there, we just threw him belt high drop balls down the middle and he kept popping them up. And if you ask him, he used to get frustrated because, yeah, he had to swing for all four corners but yeah. he couldn't get that one down the middle. That's supposed to be in the meat, what's yeah. going on here. Uh, mate, um, if I could talk about 04 now. Uh, or should I say leading up to 04, you retired from New Zealand before that and then Don Tricker mm. gives you a phone call. How, how did that come about? And, and, and what were you doing when he rang you? Oh, should I say I was out whitebaiting? <laughs> Isn't that how the stories go when you called in from the wilderness? Yeah, they kicked the, um, kick the goal. Yeah. Oh, Don is uh, I mean, a great, great man. Um he just got me at a weak moment, I think, and <laughs> kind of painted the picture. You've never played at home, have you? You know, how good would it be to play one at home? Uh, and I'd still been playing in the States. Yeah. And I think that was probably what led him to it. Um, but, yeah, it, uh, it, it, it wasn't a hard decision because I think, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I think I still felt that I had, even though we'd won two, um, in a row, you know, I still felt that there was, you know, uh, I had some unfinished business, you know, because we'd been achieving all this stuff around the world and it was an opportunity to showcase, you know, the fantastic athletes that we had within our group on home soil. Uh, so, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a hard decision. Mark, and, and please take this respectfully, the first um, round robin of uh, that tournament, you hit like shit. Yeah. I mean, I know this shit, and then there was where you were hitting, and you were hitting yeah. too the whole time, man. What's going through your head at that time? Like, should I have come back? Or uh, no, no, I, I got that uh, when I struck out for Cardinals the first time, first game back over in the Warrapa mm. against Mark Quinn uh, <laughs> against the Quinner. Um, at the start of the season, it was like, oh god, what am I doing? Um, but no, it was things just weren't falling for me there. You know, I think I got a hit or two against Australia. Uh, but, yeah, I hadn't, I didn't, I hadn't found my groove. You know, you, you, there's so many emotions because you know it's your last event. Mm. You know, so many things are going through your mind and it was just, you know, yeah, trusting your routine, trusting your routine, you know, and, and got to the stage where I think it was the very last game. And I, I always, I always perform my best against the big guys. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I would much rather face Meredith and Zach mm. than any slab throwing change ups, you know. Um, Damon before he before he tells us how he made the change, the last few days of the tournament, he didn't get out once. Tell no, us. I went twice. I was nine for eleven. How about um, only nine for eleven. Yeah, but it got had gone about two for ten up to then. <laughs> um <laughs> No, it yeah, I that was, and that was a thing. You know, you get to a stage of your career, you played for so long. If I could just play for the Black Sox, I probably would have played a few more years. But it's all that you know. You, you can't do that. You can't disrespect the game yeah. or anything like that, yeah. because you knew you could get up for that stuff. Um, and for me, I knew I could get up for those big games. 
and I don't know, it kind of coincided with uh, uh, running into Keith McIntosh, one of the Canadian guys, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, hey, Tosh, you got any chew? Um, and he gave me a bag of um, Red Man leaf. And I think it was straight after that, it, it, I just, yeah, went off. <laughs> I was like, thanks, Tosh. <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> I did that two twos, uh, two 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 uh, yeah, yeah. pod with you a little while ago. <laughs> yeah. It's your fault, Tosh. Yeah, you yeah. gave him the chew. No, but there's a, oh, sorry, I just kind of uh, remember that um, in 2000 in South Africa, um, we, it was when Whitey played for, Whitey got that terrible sickness and ended up playing for America. Um <laughs> And we were we were playing the states, but the day before that, their coach um, John Becker is a great mate of mine, and we'd played together in, in Wisconsin. And he uh, at the state at that time, Worth had bought out these new um, double wall um, power cell bats, and and he was asking me about them, and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. he said, Do you? and they were sponsoring me, and he said, can you get me one? And I went, yeah, yeah, no problem. He's, and I said, well, I see you guys have got those Eastern connections. What are they like? He said, oh, they're good. He said, I've, I've got, you want, we'll swap one. I went, yeah, yeah. So he gave me one. And as he was giving it to me, he held on to it, and he said, you're not allowed to use it against us. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm using my worth bet. I wouldn't change in middle, mid-event. Well, the next day, uh, sorry, we played Canada, and um, I hit a home run off Corey Guru in the first innings, and I broke my bat, right? And the only bat I had was this connection, <laughs> Eastern connection. So we 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 knocked Canada out. So the loser of this game, the two finalists from 96, loser of this game was fourth. Mm-hmm. And we knocked them out, and then we went to play the US the next day. And I had no choice but to use the bat. And Meredith was uh, throwing the game, and I had a home run of him in the first innings. And as I'm coming round third base, uh, the the US team was in the third base dugout. John Becker was just yelling at me from the dugout because I'd used this Eastern bat, you know, and it, it was the old uh, Mastercard, uh, you know, <laughs> the cost of tickets five bucks, you know, the cost of dinner hundred bucks, loss of pride and integrity for <laughs> using a mate's bat when you shouldn't, priceless. <laughs> oh yeah, he he wasn't happy. Yeah. Uh, it's like, dude, it's not a magnet, you know. Yeah, give me some credit. Yeah, it's the Indian, not the arrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I, you know your career is phenomenal. I'm gonna get to talk about your career stats here, but the thing that sticks out for me, and you may have got to a rocky start, but you wrecked the ship. Yeah, it was your last World Series, and it was your best World Series, mate. You, uh, as you mentioned, you hit that home run in the grand final, 10 RBIs uh, throughout the tournament, but it's the 458 batting average at your last World Cup. <laughs> not, not not the middle World Cup, your last World Cup. That's that's an amazing achievement. Yeah. I guess going back to the start, you sort of look back, you know, start of the interview, you look back on your career and you think, you know, you're pretty satisfied with some things. So, you know, finishing strong uh, was great. Um, and, and as big as that home run was that I hit, I think the biggest hit that I had was in the first innings when I drove that single and um, the one brought, up the middle. Yeah, yeah. And brought in Nathan, uh, Nathan Dion, sorry, mm. Nukunuku. 
uh, you know, we were three nothing down and we just need to get one run. We'd scored a lot of runs in the event and, and we just needed one run for everybody to take a breath and, and relax. And I think in terms of situations and stuff, that is the biggest hit of my career. Um, you know, a, a harmless single up the middle. Um, but yeah, it's you, you look back and there's plenty of at bats and you know, I've talked about a few home runs here, but that single, you know, carried so much weight. Um, and I think it lifted so much pressure for us. Fantastic, indeed. Uh, I was in the crowd that day, I mean, you, you guys were uh, you were simply amazing. A couple of images that stick in my mind, uh, of course, you hitting that home run uh, and just the jubilation of the fans either side of me uh, at that time and what you were doing for New Zealand and us seeing it for the very first time. That was one of the things that stick, stick in my mind. And the other one is uh, on the last out. Ground ball on the outside, we ground ball to second base, and you lifting your arms up with your catcher's mask and, and one hand and just like shouting. Uh, with, I tried with to pick up Jim Wanner before that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, I, I let him go. <laughs> <laughs> but doing that at home, man, you know, how, how are you feeling at that moment? Oh, look, there's a, you know, there's a, a window after you win a world title of about, 30 minutes and the staunch Kiwi bloke that you know it's normally a handshake or a high five it's a hug or an embrace and that's the coolest 30 minutes you know uh, when you look back on on your life you know and you think of those times and uh, you know you've gone to battle with these guys you know you've um, you've sacrificed a lot with family and everything like that and and to know that you've climbed a mountain together it's yeah, it's one of the coolest feelings, and you know Don, one of his mantras would always say, if you know if everybody were uh, if everybody were supposed to be a world champion, it would you know, it wouldn't be so easy. If it was meant to be easy, sorry, everybody would be a world champion. Yeah. Um, and that's because you 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 have to go through so much. Uh, so it's pretty cool, but it, it um I came away with a black uh, fat lip, sorry, with a black eye. Uh, I think. Two, two of the World Cup celebrations, uh, you're bouncing around. And yeah. I think it's the same person, probably Nathan both times, <laughs> giving me a tap. <laughs> this is the perfect time I can get him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Kind of in a group bang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, mate, uh, on the side of that, though, man, being able to do that at home uh, in front of your family, you know, how was that for them? Look, I think uh, everybody's family, you know, um, were able to enjoy it. Now, this is the first time that we had a – sort of a family stand in the outfield. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it, that was the whole picture that Don painted at the start was family, friends, softball, public. You know, now's our chance to to showcase um, how good we are. So, you know, I, and that was – and they planned before the event that the day after would be a family day. You know, or well, the day after a family day, we'd, we're doing it as, as world champions. So – you know, it was great that everybody got the chance to uh, enjoy it and, you know, celebrate it with us. Can I ask how the, how the feelings um, doing the haka to the crowd afterwards? Uh, so you took your top off, but you left your leggings on. How yeah. was that feeling? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that worked out. Yeah. Once a catcher, it always see, a catcher. seeing that as well, going, how come my leggings are still on? <laughs> I don't know. He's um, in there 30 minutes, he told you. Yeah. You, Lost you, his top, though, eh? You, you, you had to go back and look for your glove, you know, you throw your glove around. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> we were, Chubb 
work the haka for us a lot, eh? You know, we we and I look at um, some of the early footage of us doing the haka in the sort of late eighties, nineties, um, and it's probably a little bit like the All Blacks, how it evolved over time, you know. And I look and and I cringe a little bit how we performed <laughs> it in the beginning, um, but you know what? In the end, and and you saw that for me in my last game that haka that that we did before the Canadian final and and they stayed in the dugout um and then they came out you know i, I rank uh our hucker with any teams eh? oh, yeah. you know um the boys put a lot of time into it you know it's not something that just comes out during during games you know the the boys put a lot even you know now you know it's still the same is that they they practice it and they you know they talk about the history um and we're you know and it's evolved and we've got the rako now you know that Cole's mm-hmm. obviously got um, that has been there for, I think since two thousand mm-hmm. um, and nine, and that's a great thing about evolution. You know, is that we took it a certain way uh, to a certain level, and then these guys have taken it on. So, yeah, I'm really proud of um, how that has evolved with the group, and you know, it's not uh, it's not a party trick anymore. You know, in the beginning, it, it was pulled out. Left, right, and centre, and I don't think it was respected as much, um, you know. But it was once people learned a little bit more and and practiced a little bit more, you know, and respected a little bit more that it um, it got respected more, uh, and that was I think something that was um, was missing at the start, you know. The way that we performed it was the way that it was received. Pretty, pretty fantastic. Now, uh, Damien, I've got to make a note here. Um, some of the historical stats with Mark aren't available, um, but we, we do – the ladies have worked really hard to get a few a few together for us. I mean, not a few, a lot, uh, to be fair. So I just want to make that point first. But uh, out of all respect, Mark, a total that we have on record for you at the moment is 107 games for the Black Sox, 345 plate appearances for the Black Sox, uh, 109 hits. You got hit seven times, by the way, just throwing that out there. 22 home runs, man, 87 RBIs. But the one that sticks out, Damien, listen to this, a career batting average over 20 years of 371. That's unbelievable. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Probably right, eh? <laughs> Look at me like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's all right. Shit, was it that low? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the face on him when he was like, only 22 home runs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple missing we said. I think there's a few missing games there because I, I think I, I'm down for about nine. At one stage, I was 99 tests, but that went back to about 96, I think, or 95. So, um, but either way, you know, it's, it's a length of time and it's more about the. Um, it's the other stuff, you know, the guys yep. you played with, uh, yep. the people you played against, and now we're able to talk about the, you know, the success and trophies and rings and those type of accolades, which at the time you didn't give a great deal of thought to. Well, you, you did right, Mark, uh, and numbers are great, and career numbers are great, and, and those numbers are phenomenal, but it, it's what you've done, uh, both overseas and the IC level in New Zealand uh, for your beloved Hutt Valley Cardinals, but especially wearing that black shirt with a silver fan on it for New Zealand with number two on your back, man. What a career. What an amazing contribution. And uh, and, and if I couldn't think of anyone better to hit a home run 
and his last game for the Black Sox to win the gold medal for New Zealand again. Uh, thank you. No, it's pretty cool. Uh, great to be able to share some stories, I suppose, with you guys and, and celebrate it a little bit, you know, the, um, the type of people that we are. You know, we're, we're, we're all pretty humble. Um, it's not as though you walk, or, you walk down High Street in the hut wearing a gold medal around your neck. Um, but, you know, to be able to share and celebrate and, and reflect as um, just kind of remember, you know, some of those times and stories and the people you played with and, you know, there's, there's memories flooding yep. through my head at the moment. You, you know, just talking about it, you, uh, it kind of opens the door a little bit. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. So thank you. Mate, you obviously after 04, you got a chance to spend some time on family life and business uh, outside of the game and obviously contributing in, in other ways uh, to the game of softball. And then, hello, someone wants to coach the Black Sox. How yeah. the heck? Yeah. What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I've got too many black ears. I want them all to be grey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you know, um, I, I, I there was a sense of responsibility, you know, a sense of duty, um, but it was also something that I wanted to test myself, um, you know, and, and I had a couple of mates go, what are you doing? You've, you, you've you know, you, you it could all turn to custard, and and you'll ruin everything that you've done. It's like, no, no, no. What I've achieved, I've achieved. You can't take it away. Um, you know, there's an opportunity to share some of the stuff that I've learned with, you know, a new generation um, and, you know, help develop those guys. So, uh, uh, you know, winning in, in Whitehorse was fantastic, you know, and, and uh, you know, to, to join that exclusive club with Eddie, you know, for our sport, being the only one that had played and, and coached to win, uh, win, to win a world title. Ways, and yeah. I don't know if there's many outside of our sport. I don't know. I never mm. really looked at it. But uh, the team that we had in 2015, you know, we when we took over, you know, we'd had, you know, a mass exodus, you know, with yep. the guy, you know, Jeremy going and, and uh, Paddy and, and Aaron Nemia and, you know, uh, B-Man was still there, but Reese had gone and Jared had gone and Larry, Larry. had gone, you know. And, and <laughs> this is starting lineup right there. Went to the first camp that we'd selected and a couple of the guys, who's that guy over there? What's his name again? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, it was like, wow, we're um, the first camp we had in 2014 and then sort of 18 months later, um, we're in the final of the World Series. Um, it was really satisfying to, you know, take a, a really young, raw group that before the event, people didn't pick us to finish in the top six, to really uh, being within a whisker of actually almost stealing the world title. You know, we were we were well ahead um, against Canada and then the wheels fell off. Um, but all that meant was that, you know, we were that much hungrier uh, to go ahead through to Whitehorse you know, and, and to win a, a world title, you know, I've always believed that it takes a group of management and players that are extremely hungry to win. You know, you can't take anything for granted. And Whitehorse was that perfect storm for us after failing in, um, in 2015 and falling short when it was right there. Mm. 
going though, transitioning, Mark, and I know you had a had a break from the game, but going from arguably um, one of, if not the best player on the planet, to then uh, being a coach. I remember talking to you a little bit about this before. That transition for you, mentally, was that tough? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, d- I didn't know where to stand on third base at one stage. <laughs> it was like, I'm going to be out if I'm not standing. It's like, uh, I used to be able to pick every pitcher, but I'm yeah. not used to seeing it from this angle. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I, I had a lot of learning to do. You yeah. know. Um, yeah. You know, and, and 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 you know, everybody knows. You, you just because you're a great player doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. And I'm certainly not saying I'm a great coach, but certainly I'm proud of the fact that you know I've got something that not a lot of other coaches have got, and that that's uh, a world title. Mm. You know, as a coach, so um, you know, and we've got a silver medal as well. But I, I you know, I, I had to learn about uh, body language on third base. You know, because. Guys would swing and miss, and I would sort of cringe, you know. Yeah. And then guys are in the first base dugout, they're looking straight down, and they can see me. And there's this aura around who I was and the reputation I came with, and it was really intimidating. So, you know, I had to, I had to change my demeanour. You know, I, I had to change the way that I approached things. Um, I had to get less vocal in the dugout. Um, and you know that's always a work on you. You, you know you, you you wear your heart on the sleeve. Um, you know I talked about winning before. Uh, you know so there was certainly it wasn't um, it wasn't all beer and skittles. <laughs> you know, uh, but we the the one thing that was consistent is that we had a talented bunch of Kiwi boys that wanted to do well on the world stage. You know, and you really only you you you're really only steering the ship. You know, um, the and creating the environment for performance, and and at a high level, the environment that you create is so critical to the success that you have. You know, and and it's not as much about you know when you call a steal or when you call a hit and run, um, or anything like that. You create the you know I learned this through Mike Walsh and I learned it through Don Tricker, you know, playing with those under those guys is, um. They were never they they weren't the greatest tacticians in the world, but they created a, a, a an amazing culture and environment within the group where high performance just took care of itself. You know, you think about two thousand four. We talked about there that you know I, I don't recall Don stealing anyone or you know mm. having squeeze plays or yep. hitting runs. He just created an environment that that we just went out and did our thing. You know, so certainly I learnt from those guys about that. You and. You know, I had an idea about certain way that I wanted us to play. Um, you know, in terms of a Kiwi style of softball. So, and and that was just making sure that we we played unselfish ball. You know, that we we took care of the bunts when we needed to. You know, we we, we advanced runners, we got guys in scoring position, we created pressure, uh, and you know, just played simple softball. And and if you do that, and we play good defense. Behind our pitches, our pitches hit good spots. You give yourself a better chance than the others. Uh, so, you know, it's not what we the game we play is not rocket science, but we often complicate it. However, you know that 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 team, you know, together everyone achieves more, is so critical to success of great teams because you you're on that journey. You know, you you're away. You're at a World Cup. You're away for four or five weeks, living in each other's pocket. 
And if you don't get on together, you're not going to succeed together. Mm. You know, so you have to have, you know, that environment needs to, and, it, and it hap- it's been created and it's, it started well before, you know, the World Cup event. You know, you've been building up for two, three, four years. Um, and, and you're trying to create a, an environment where a group of guys will walk over broken glass for each other. You know, that every man has every other man's back. You know, there's not anyone left out in the cold. You know, you, you talk about a brotherhood. It, it really it really does become that. You know, you, you've got to be a tight-knit group. How do you create that tight-knit group? Well, as I said, it, it, it takes time, you know. You, you've got to work through. You've got to, you know, the, the best thing for us was about we were able to tour during off-season. You, know, off you take players away. You learn about uh, their strengths, their weaknesses. You learn about how they tour. Um, you know, a lot of our training camps weren't, weren't always about um, hitting a ball, catching a ball, throwing a ball. You know, we were, we were out in the wilderness. We were on, we were on an army base, you know, where putting together plans to overcome obstacles. Um, we were working together, you know, in terms of communication. We were, you know, we were sitting around in groups telling each other um, how we thought, uh, what we thought our, uh, your strengths were and also what we thought your weaknesses were, you know. So we were um, exposing vulnerability, you know, opening ourselves up. And that's a risky risky op- operation to run, you know, so you need the right people running it. Um, you know, to have someone telling you that, you know, you do this great and this great, but you do this shit. Um, you know, so you take that and you build that as a personal development plan. You know, so a whole bunch of little things, you know, it's not something you can put together in one camp. It's, you know, over the course of time, but certainly, you know, tr- on, on the basis and values of trust, you know, making sure that you're working with someone that you trust, that everybody is honest, you know, in terms of honesty around performance, um, you know, you've got strong values around accountability um, that you're not, it's not a blame game. You know, ultimately, I'm responsible for my performance. I can't blame the coach. I can't blame anyone else. You know, it's about me taking care of the things that I can take care of. So, you know, you build a culture around strong foundations with values. Um, you work, work on the little things so guys are, are working together as a group um, and that they're prepared to sacrifice and, you know, that you, you can't have any egos. You know, there can't be no playing it, playing for me. You know, in a big game and a big situation, you can't have a guy trying to hit a home run when a fly ball's all you need. You know, get that fly ball in, get that first run, release the pressure for the offense. You know, then you build pressure and you have a beginning. I, I listen to you talk, uh, Mark, and I can't help but it, it, it just, there are so many parallels with your playing career and being methodical, prepared having a ritual to get in the batter's box, at least you know, talking about things like that. But but even the coaching methodology, you know, your preparation and your – but not just uh, the preparation, but why you prepare in that way, why you do that. You, you, you obviously put a lot of thought into everything you do. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do a lot of reflecting. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I always uh, – I'm probably my own worst critic uh, because, you know, you, you – Mike Walsh put in the back of our resource kit in 1988, I think it was, a poem about the man in the mirror. You know, and that's the only one you need to be honest with. Um, so, you know, I've always uh, been fairly honest and open uh, with myself around performance. You know, it's not... Um, and I think, you know, the, you know, you talk about... Uh, people talk about their circle of trust and, 
you know, your circle of trust needs to be people that are going to tell you things that you don't want to hear. You know, so that's why your family should never be in your circle of trust because they're going to tell you how good you are. Yeah. You know, you're great. You know, don't worry about that. You're really good. You know, we we think you're doing great. Where, you know, you want you want your mates to say, bro, you've been a dickhead. Mm. You know, you need to be better than that. You're better than that. Yep. Um. So, that's where I, th- I you know, asking people. When you ask questions, you've got to be prepared for people to be honest with you. And and the steps that happen, well, the way that that comes about is by asking the right people. Mm. You know, if you want to get told what you want to hear, you'll ask the wrong people. Yeah. You know? Who's the go-to to ask for you, for Mark Sorensen? Um, my wife's pretty honest with me. <laughs> <laughs> they always are, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh look, you know that uh, again. You you've got a small circle of friends, and um, you know it's the people that I trust. And you know, in terms of the the coaching side of it, um, you know, with um, previously I had had, had Scoob and and um, Jim, you know, and Jim stepped aside this year, and Paddy stepped in. Yep. And there's a lot of um, you know, in fact, and, and Tony Smith was one of them that that asked me. Looks like it's just jobs for the Cardinals boys, you know. Um, where it does look like that, but, you know, for me and, you know, where I stand in the game in New Zealand, um, I have to, you know, the, the people that I surround myself with have to be guys I trust mm. and also guys that aren't scared of me and intimidated. So, you know, guys that I've been to battle with that aren't afraid to raise something um, and certainly not made out as... Uh, or as, as just being there as yes men, you know, guys, jobs for the boys. Um, you know, and I think Frags, when Frags was with me with, with you know, Carl Franklin, you know, when he started, mm. he he uh, he was, you know, uh, starry-eyed. Um, mm. But Frags is a real honest, hard-working man that got to the stage where when we got to picking the World Series team in 2015, he fought tooth and nail for a couple of guys, you know, and that's what you want with yeah. the guys. Yep. You know, the guys you go to battle with. And, and you know, uh, I, I remember one of the team talks that Frags gave um, in Saskatoon, and I, I won't run through it verbatim here, but, you know, he he spoke from the heart, you know, and Frags got a real uh, a big league background, you know, and he talked about, you know, pride, um, and he talked about guts and glory. Um, and and it's one of the greatest speeches, you know. Mm. Um, and it... it you know, those you surround yourself with people that'll be honest, um, as opposed to people that'll just say the things that you want to hear. So, you know, I, I, in answering your question, mate, just I go to the people I trust. Yep. Um, and you just got to be prepared to get an answer you don't want to hear. You know, I mean, I, uh, I quite often reach out to Don. Um, well, you touched on that before. You mentioned uh, a, a couple of years ago, or not so long ago, you, you got a chance to pop over to San Diego uh, with Don uh, to see his operation. What was that all about, and in, in, in your relationship with Don? Oh, it was it was personal development. Yeah, um, I was a bit of a fan over there, though. You know, you were <laughs> watching, um, but it was really, you know, it was um, it was post Prague where we hadn't performed so well, so it was about. Um, fresh ideas, you know, new things for me, uh, reinventing a little bit, uh, and you know, really fortunate to to go to see what the Padres did and how they operated, and 
basically have an unrestricted full access pass um, everywhere. Yeah. You know, locker room with the players, coaches meeting to start the day on the diamond, you know, leaning up against a cage while Tatis and Hosmer and Machado are all taking BP not two metres away and and Don came up to me one time and said, you got the picture picked? And I said, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the pitches are they're throwing, but he kind of puts his glove at a different angle on this pitch. Um, so we had a bit of a chuckle about that. But mm-hmm. no, I mean, even from Don's days at uh, you know, the rugby union, um, he, he a couple of times I'd call him and go, we need to catch up for a coffee. Yep. And he'd go, okay, what's the brief? And he'd be <laughs> like, well, I've got a selection conundrum, you know? Um. And we'd go and talk it through, and within five minutes, kind of going, what did he just do? Um, but sort of, you know, you sometimes let emotions get in the way, and, you you know, you, you overthink things, and, you know, he simplified it um, with a process to, you know, work through uh, selecting in this particular case. And, you know, I was able to take that back to the group to say, well, okay, this is how we should run it. Mm. And the guys, you know, all agreed, wow, so... Yeah, it's basically rating yep. different guys and, and just made it so much easier. So, yeah, he, he Don's a great man at um, um, decluttering things and simplifying. I, I can't go past 2017. Uh, you're in the uh, playoff match semifinal from memory against Canada. And um, with all due respect, Canada was the best team there that week. They were running the table on everyone. And pre-tournament, they were running the table on everyone, including the Sox mm. uh, in the pre, pre-tournament. pre You're down like 9-2 or something like that. No, it was 9-2. And you come back and beat them. And it's like in the fifth. two and a three-quarter of an hour marathon. Uh, amazing game uh, by the by the Black Sox. You know, how did you do that? <laughs> One pitch at a time. Yeah. Well, no, at the, the, at the time, you know, that the, where we had, they had a big inning – it was starting to rain a bit. Uh, the ball was getting a little bit slippery. Um, the mound was getting a little bit slippery. We managed to obviously get out of the innings, but there was a bit of damage that had been done. And it just said to the guys, so I, I put it, um, I put a take on everyone that we we're going to take a strike uh, because we knew that it was hard, the conditions, and make, let's make it hard on the Canadian pitchers. And, you know, it was really one pitch at a time. And, we slowly got a bit of momentum. We scored a couple of runs. You know, the dugout starts lifting. The pressure starts going on the Canadian pitcher. A couple of walks, an error. All of a sudden, Charlie hits a moonshot. Um, and we're right up there and close. Yeah. Um, well, it ended up, what was it, 13, 12? Yeah, 12, yeah it, was, it, was a, it was a barn burner, but, you, but, you, but it was a thing that you'd come back from so many runs. And like I said, Canada were... Up until that time, untouchable throughout the week. They were running the table. That would yeah, but that's good. that's where you know I talked about before about that team building stuff. You know, yeah, those are the times when you've put so much in that tank to build the team. Those are the times where you've got to, or in the bank, you know, you've got to make the withdrawals. And if you don't have that resource in the bank to make the withdrawal, you just might as well pack the tent up and mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. But we'd invested so much that we had a lot to draw on. You know, and the guys trusted each other, and they didn't try and do too much. You know, and that teams often in those situations make two mistakes. One is that they let the scoreboard dictate the way they approach things, and they try and do it all themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, where we talked specifically about we don't let the scoreboard affect the approach at the plate. 
Okay, so we all get the same amount of at bats. Let's just make sure we, you know, we have a saying with QAB, so we have a quality at bat, mm. and then we pass it on to the next guy, right? QAB and pass it on to the next guy, um, and that's the way we went about it, you know. And, and once momentum starts falling in your favour, you saw what could happen. Yeah, we were behind in the final as well, as you know. Yeah, 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 without um, a doubt. I mean, it led up for an amazing final, final mm. day. But I mean, I, I've I've had a chance now to see quite a few Black Sox matches, and that that goes down as one of the great matches that I've that I've seen. A, an unusual match with all the weather and things, as you said, um, but just the determination to not give up and not not to take the easy route of okay. They can have that one. We'll come back in the back door. You didn't. You never gave up. And in the and in that particular case, Canada never got back to the back door to the final anyway. No, no. So um, it was a phenomenal performance to yeah. experience. Oh, we were pretty drained afterwards. I bet you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was you know at those times it's about you know and I remember Don sent me a text. Fantastic game. Um, enjoy the moment. Then refocus tomorrow. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. You know, it's just really a day-by-day thing. And um, it was, you know, a, a really proud performance that guys weren't prepared to lie down and give up when lesser teams could have, as I said, packed the tent up and yeah. gone home yeah. and said, okay, well, we're third. Not to gloss over um, Prague, mate, but I'm looking forward to next year. The WBSC just the other day uh, released uh, that the World Cup next year is going to be in November now. And um, after coming fourth at the last one in Prague, what do the Sox need to do from now to November next year to get themselves on the podium and hopefully gold? I think a lot of the things that, that we've just covered now, you know, about unselfish, um, honest. You know, and the, this process has started, you know, uh, when we first got together post-Prague. And, mm. you know, there's a phrase we're using at the moment is, is the acceptance of the need for change. You know, the standard that we had before is no longer good enough, you know. Um, so we just need to be better, and we need to be better at the little things. Yep. And those little things, uh, you know, we, we, we look at athletes as, you know, the professional athlete, and the professional athlete for, for us is the guy that works hard, um, that will always be at training, that will always be doing the extra work. They take care of themselves. They, they you know, during events, they get good rest. They, they eat good quality food. Um, and then there's the lifestyle athlete, you know, and the lifestyle athlete is the guy that does it when you're watching, right? And um, getting the balance right in a team of guys that are on the professional side of the – you have a mix on yep. the team, yep. right? Getting the mix, getting that balance right of, of professional athletes and lifestyle athletes because mm-hmm. um, you can't have a team of rock stars, yep. right? You, you never have a team of rock stars because they never succeed, mm-hmm. um, except in 2004, um, so getting that balance right, um, you know, for us as a, uh, as a, as a selection panel, um, you know, one of the mistakes we made was in, in 2019, we, we didn't let evolution play its role. You know, we were, we, you know, loyalty, I talk about loyalty being really important. We're maybe too loyal to the guys of 17 because the emotion of that event, um, got in the way. So, you know, letting evolution run its course and, you know, letting guys, um, uh, you know, in 2015, 2017, we had taken young guys along. We'd taken new guys along. Um, You know, in fact, we wanted to simulate picking a World Series team, 
Um, so after the club nationals or during the club nationals, sorry, this year, uh, Paddy Scoob and I um, went off site and we went through the process of picking a World Series team if we were picking it that day. Um, there were 16 guys picked mm-hmm. and eight of them were in Prague. Wow. So, you know, we're, we're trying to simulate all of the things that we are asking the athletes to do. Yeah. You know, so we're trying to change the way that we're, we're doing a lot of things as well. So, you know, um, if we picked on form, now it's easy to say that because it, it there wasn't all the money on the line, but, you know, we wanted to practice picking a team. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's about us all being better. Yeah. You know, because as I said before, to win a world title, it takes a management group and uh, players to be hungry, you know, and, and we can't afford to have anybody there that isn't hungry for a world title. Mm. Well, you, you talk about bringing in youth uh, um, and in your uh, squad that you've just named uh, just recently, you've got a couple of youngsters that you've just brought into the squad, young Max Early, the catcher from Mount Albert Rebels, and even the local uh, youngster here, Tain, uh, or Tane Mumu. Mm. They seem exciting. Oh, they're good young talents. Yeah. You know, and I suppose the, the thing is with it being 18 months away, 18 months is a long time mm. in softball, you yeah. know. And whilst they're young guys now, um, there's plenty of time for them to develop, uh, but there's also plenty of time for the guys that are at the other end of the scale to, you know, it's like, do I keep going like that? Do I level out or am I on the downside? So, you know, it's quite a challenging period. And I'm sure all countries have got this challenge, you know. You, um, the thing I thought with uh, if we were having the World Cup in, in 21, it would have been you know, would have been uh, easier for us to get the Argies, right? Because I don't think they're sober yet from 19. <laughs> <laughs> no. But another, an, another 18 months will allow them, Julio will sober them up. Um, we're still partying. Yeah. Um, but you know, Julio, you know, Gamasi, who, who coached them, uh, he and I played together in, yep. in county, mm. you know, in Marathon. So um, it... it uh, it, you know, as much as I hated losing and not being in the final, to see, you know, a mate succeed like that um, was great because yeah. we played them a lot over the years, you know. Um, so we, you know, it's just, again, uh, it's really about the little things for us. Um, we we haven't always been the best, the most talented team at World Cups when we've won. We've mm-hmm. just been the best team. Yeah. You know, and yep. that's, we've just got to get back to being that. Culture, team. Yeah. Makes good sense. Uh, um, before I ask you about what is next for the Black Sox in the lead-up tour, mate, um, I want to talk about your captain, Cole Evans. How much of uh, himself do you uh, do you see of you in him? I mean, the parallels of 16 being picked for the Black Sox, a captain in his early 20s, it's quite the parallel. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um Oh, he's a good young man, you know. He's he uh, he comes from good softball stock, you know. His family, he's been at the ballpark pretty much his whole life. Um, he's got a good moral compass, you know. He's got a good value set. Um, he's a he's a natural leader of men. Um, is he the final product in terms of captaincy? No, but no one ever is when you come into that role. But it, you know, the way he started, he's done a really great job. Um, he's fit in really nicely. Um, he's he's learning about how he can influence the group by what he does, 
you know, and he's also not a bad uh, player. No, he's become very all. good right yeah. now, yeah. <laughs> Just quietly. Yeah, yeah. Um, with that said, Matt, what, what is next for the Sox in, in preparation uh, physically? Well, uh, typically we're into the off-season, right? Yep. Um, you know, some of the boys are looking at uh, heading north um, in, in the winter. So going up to North America to play, uh, we will we'll do um, we'll do a round of uh, another round of fitness testing before the start of the year. Yep. Um, at the moment, we are balancing. When you say start of the year, do you mean the start of the sorry, New start Zealand of the season? season. Yep. Sorry, gotcha. Yeah, um, we're we're balancing funding at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, our funding hasn't uh, hasn't changed from what was we were awarded in two thousand and twenty. So. The next funding round will be up in uh, at the end of this year, so uh, November stuff will need to be in December decision, January notification. So we we are hoping, or we're planning, but we're hoping that we'll get funding to be able to um, maybe set up a series with uh, with the Aussies. Yep. Uh, come April next year. Yep. And you know, ideally, probably up in in Queensland area, you know, weather wise, mm-hmm. probably guaranteed of better weather. Um, uh, also, see if we could get the the Japanese guys down, uh, and that would be seven months out. Yeah, right. Which is um, would be great to to get offshore, to take an extended group, to try guys touring, to play some opposition outside of these, you know, uh, the friendly confines. Um, and then in October of twenty two, we'd be looking to have a uh, a trial. So internal competition would be the last event before we select the team. And then from there, it'll be about building the team uh, in preparation for November 26th, uh, which would be opening night. You you and your coaching staff and, and management must have been just, I don't know how many pages. I don't know where in the coach's manual. Can you tell me what page is mm. a pandemic? <laughs> and having to deal with that and the shifting goalposts of everything. And, uh, you know, how have you managed that? Well, I've got a really good manager with Casey Eden, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been uh, fortunate right through my coaching that you know with with fingers Grant McCarroll, um, Jaden, you know Jaden Moore. We're yeah. we're we're very fortunate here in New Zealand that we've got great great you know managers that are able to you know in terms of general management of the group and um, and Casey is is no different. You know, um, successful businessman played for the Black Sox. Um, he's the master at spreadsheets, and and we're on about version twenty five or something like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll get an email from it. I'll just put together another budget just in case. And yeah. So there's Plan A and Plan B and Plan C, and honestly, that that we we would easily be around probably twenty budgets. Yeah. Um, yeah. If this happened, if that happened, uh, so we've we've planned for all types of scenarios, but we are. Reliant and dependent on support from high performance sport. Yeah. So yep. you know, looking towards the end of this year, we've we've had uh, there's been numerous meetings and phone calls and emails and assessing um, and explaining what we're trying to achieve and where we're trying to go. And I think prior to you know within the, even the last couple of months, the uncertainty in the world has made it hard for them to fund us, and yep. understandably. Yeah. Um, but hopefully we can continue on the path that we're on to create a little bit more certainty, and that will mean that from a funding perspective, um, they can provide us with a bit more certainty. Fantastic. Well, I know 
Um, well, me personally, but the softball public just can't wait. Now we've got a certain date uh, of uh, of November uh, next year, twenty twenty two. Well, the third third certain date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's three strikes and you're out. Because yeah. eh? <laughs> I think after that, if we can't host it next year. It'll be done. Yeah. So, um, but all things looking way better. I'm glad we've been granted the uh, and the WBSC and the and the um, you know all of the parties that are involved, the host committee and, and the supporters there in Auckland, financially um, have been able to come to the table and, and allow us to move it to them. I think it's important too, you know, um, not just in hosting a World Cup in New Zealand, but supporting the Black Sox. I'm talking financially from high performance sport. I mean. It's not very many options, uh, Damien, when you look at sports where it's like, okay, if you if you support these guys, they're going to be on the podium. And a big percentage of the time, they finish on the top step. I mean, it's, it's a you know, it's a win-win. Uh, it's not like, okay, we're going to support you, but you might come eighth. <laughs> it, that doesn't happen with the Sox. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. Look, at, look, it hasn't, but it, it you know, you think uh, since, what, 1984, we'd made every final. Um, it was eventually going to happen that we didn't. Um, I, I got to be honest, I didn't want it to happen on my watch, um, but it has. Yep. It would have been easy for me to run away and hide. Um, but personally, I, I, again, I feel a sense of responsibility to it happen on my watch. I've got to fix it. Um, so, you know, I'm um, as committed as ever to ensure that, you know, we are the best prepared that we can be. And when I say we, that that includes me as well. So you know, you, you know, so physically, uh, mentally, um, and strategically. Oh, fantastic! Well, Mark, uh, in the last segment here, we have something special, Damien. Yes, it's the time for the all world selection. Uh, first player that's already been selected in the in the in the team, of course. Uh, Paddy picked Mark last week. Before yes. that, Wayne picked uh, Heine first week, and second. Paddy didn't pick himself. He didn't. Know. <laughs> no, I think he was um, trying to get good points with you. Or hey, yeah. and then of course B man picking um, Larry at centre. Indeed, Thomas Mark here. Yeah, fantastic. No, so yes, first person you get to be the coach. I know you're the coach now anyway, but uh, you get to be the coach here. First person that's actually on the starting roster, catcher Mark Sorensen. Who's your pick, mate? Um, I tell you what, I'm I'm going to go overseas as well, um, and I'm going to pick. Colin Abbott as the right fielder. Uh, I played with Hoop between 94 and 97 at uh, All Car in Green Bay. Um, Left-handed power hitter who's a newfie. Um, Always wanted to go to KFC on the way to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) On the way to the gym. On the way to the gym. But the guy could flat out hit. Yeah. Great, great hitter. Um, uh, hitting was a, probably more of a strength for him than um, than right field, but he played out there. Um, and and the newfies are all about hitting. Eh? And and I've never seen a guy hit a rise ball like he did. Um, some of the balls that he hit, uh, some of the hardest balls I've ever seen hit. So I I batted behind him. He batted three. I batted four. And and I got to see firsthand um, how great he was. Outstanding. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. The number four pick for the Beyond the Dugout All World Men's Selection Team goes to the Newfoundland Canadian, 
It is Colin Abbott, picked by Mark Sorensen. Filling up nicely. Yeah, it is indeed. The roster is coming along well. The thing is, Mark, we haven't picked who we're going to make this team play against yet. Hey. <laughs> so just make sure you're keeping the ease loose. <laughs> well, Mark, it's been a treat, man. Thank you so much for taking uh, the time to come along to be on the dugout. I mean, for us, um, you know, to being able to bring in a legend of the game uh, and what you've, you've done in it, and just, just to, you know, to be able to talk to you frankly about things, um, uh, you know, it's a treat. Oh, no, thanks, guys, for, you know, you're doing a great job here with, with running these, and it, um, you know, great opportunity to to relive some memories, and, you know, as I said before, it's sort of um, just the fact that we're talking about it, uh, you know, has, has uh, flooded other memories of um, of those days, which, you know, as time goes by, sometimes they kind of disappear into a room in the back of the closet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but be able to be able to bring them out, um, you know, on a day like this uh, is is pretty cool. So thank you, been great, absolutely honoured, mate. Thank you so much for coming around, jumping on the podcast, and um, yeah, being at my house. Thank you. Hey. <laughs> Well, there you go, Mark James Sorensen, a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit from the 98 honours list that year. The New Zealand Sports Hall of Fame in 2016 in the Halberg Awards. He's in all the other Hall of Fames as well, Softball New Zealand, the ISCs or ISF as well, WBSC it is uh, now called. And I'm sure it's only a moment in time before he's also in the Hutt Valley uh, Hall of Fame. I'm going to make it that, cool. That make is it. not far away and there's got to be uh, in the pipeline. An amazing 20-year career with the Golden Homes Black Sox. 18 years playing in the ICs. He won everything, as we mentioned earlier, 12 times all-world uh, at the ICs. Five or six titles there. And then, of course, he played in six World Series, coaching at three. He's won six world titles, five as a player, one as a coach. And we're all fingers crossed that he picks up another one as a coach next year. In November. It is Mark Sorensen. Thank you so much. Go. Just a thumbs up. Love it. Well, buddy, I know a lot of content there with Mark Sorensen, but man, you know, he's got so much to tell and what and a storied career, isn't he? Mate, uh, I, I said earlier on in the piece, uh, you know, you kind of saw him get a, bit, a little bit embarrassed about it, but um, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, you know, yeah, it'd be real hard argument to put anyone else's name in that, um, apart from Mark Sorensen. No, you did right. I mean, there's some amazing legends in our game uh, here in New Zealand and also around the world. We're going to get some international guests later. Um, but boy, oh boy, what a what a career by Mark Sorensen and, and what some amazing achievements. And yet, he's still got achievements to come. Oh, absolutely. The story isn't written yet. I, I was just amazed by the recall, mate. The, the the way he could tell a story, the names, the the situations, everything, the way he could break it down. I mean, I could listen to him for hours, and I know I just did, but I could uh, I could sit there and listen to way more. It is indeed. He just touches on classes, isn't it, when he talks about some of those players um, from yesteryear. And I, and I think that's kind of why I made a point uh, talking about that here uh, first World Series team, just so people get an understanding of some of those great legends in the game of their time. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, you're throwing out names like Paul McGowan and, and, and stuff like that. Like, the, a lot of a lot of players out there might not know these people, and these are the guys that have part, paved the way, you know, Hall of Famers of all Hall of Famers. So, you know, look up those names that you heard today because they are the, the, the guys that put this game on the map. So, yeah, definitely check them out. Well, mate, it just keeps on getting good here, though, buddy. And uh, next week we've got our second female guest here on Beyond the Dugout and Kitty Shaw. And it'll be the first time we've gone back to back in the 04, I think. Uh, but yeah, now Kitty's uh, she's a great laugh, great lady, and um, she's been around the game a very long time. The second generation of three generations to to wear the, the white socks jersey, and um, I'm sure she's going to have uh, many a tale from from mum, from herself, from from all, all aspects of softball. I wonder if we get to talk to her about her cell phones. She's terrible with cell phones. I've heard she's pretty bad at, at uh, with cell phones, but. If I recall the Hutt Valley Sports Awards last year, she's a pretty good dancer. She is a good dancer. <laughs> and that's coming up soon, the Sports Awards. So we look forward to seeing her show us another Yeah, maybe we'll see we'll, we'll, we'll Mark Sorensen in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, that's going to be coming up. <laughs> I'm definitely name dropping. Yeah, it's going to be coming up soon for sure. Well, Kitty Shaw, uh, an amazing career that spanned about 23 years in and out of the um, of Sky Sport White Sox team. And, uh, and of course, an Olympian from 2000. Olympian. Can't go past those five rings, mate. Is it five rings or seven rings? Oh, I can't even remember. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, you can't go past those rings. Yep. And uh, she can always say that she's an Olympian. Indeed. So looking forward to that next week. It'll be Kitty Shaw here on the couch here in uh, Beyond the Dugout. Uh, of course, the 21st of May at Prime Time Drive Time. Thank you so much for tuning in here to Beyond the Dugout. It's been our pleasure to bring it to you. Wherever you are, please be safe. Look after each other. Jason Gooby's AK Chop and of course Damien Collins. Thanks guys. Happy anniversary, Mel. Be on the dugout, lace them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the bases. Do it for your teammates, do it for the fam. Do it for your city, true ballers understand. You gotta work together, you gotta find a way. Put your body on the line and make that play. Be on the dugout, lace them up and we run out. Step up to the place, swing away, or you get struck out. Picture on the mound like you don't wanna face this. Hit it so hard, you be running around the base. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout. Be on the dugout.